two, three, four. In this podcast, you will be here. Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader, includes but is not led to who talk of Star Wars, not Reagan's. We can't truly prepare for the jump that follows this song, but hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of they are divided For equal, sequel, hate and love they fight I know that we are just musicians hired And their time is up So here's the Knights of Vader A big thank you to An Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. It is February 12th, 2020. My name is Zach Weber, and I am joined by the Squire of Vader, Rob. Hey, I'm back, and once again, proving everybody that I can read. Very happy about that. <laughs> yes, remember, we have the exclusive. Uh, nobody else can read. Rob had to read this to me like a bedtime story. That's why it took so long to eventually get this. Every night he had to give me a phone call as I'm about to go to bed and say, okay, Zach, we're on page 85 of Colin Trevorrow's <laughs> December 2016 script of The Duel of Fates. The yeah, entire time. I, I know last week uh, you and Zenger discussed some things, and uh, I know I have it on good authority that um, you guys opened that web page and did a text-to-speech program and had it read to you by Microsoft Sam. You never actually did any of the reading, right? No, no, we did not. <laughs> Good old Microsoft Sam, indeed. And that added to the, uh, the, the excitement because it was all misspelled already. Microsoft <laughs> Sam was having a real fun time with some of those words. <laughs> it was just tripping over those words, folks. It didn't know which way it was up. It was just kept, like, get over one word and just automatically hit the ground again. Kylo Ren was do Rumini core. <laughs> <laughs> After a while, I can't even pronounce the word. Just like it's just sounding out the letters, yeah, phonetically. Uh, no, but uh, this time I know Rob and I did an episode the first because this point it's gonna be part three of the Colin Trevorrow uh, script oh, yeah. series on cin- on cinemodies. It feels like a cinemodies discussion, uh, but no, uh, the script. I know if you're part of the Knights of Vader Facebook group, I shared it there. If you know where to look on Reddit, you can easily access this. I will link to it in the show notes for those of you who haven't read it but are so inclined. But I know I've been saying it for a while now that I would give my left arm for this <laughs> script, and I am thrilled at the fact that I'm able to read it with both hands. Yes, so. I I am I well I guess we'll do some generic or just a kind of like summary thoughts before we delve into this in any sort of meaningful way. Um, to reiterate, I still love the Rise of Skywalker. I'm happy with what we got, but I do feel that even though this script, the Duel of Fate script, dated December 2016, has its problems, I feel like it has a better grandiose conclusion to the Star Wars story than what we got. It feels more, it has a better conclusion element to it than the film that we got in December. I uh, I think I would have to agree. As I was reading through this, it kind of seemed, um, it, it's more of a, I, I don't know, I, I don't even think I can really say fulfilling, because, you know, I don't feel that strongly about the, the sequel uh, trilogy as a whole. But this definitely seemed to tie up a lot of ends that, you know, I think of when I think of episodes um, seven and eight. Yeah, well, that's there's there's some things in this like I I really like the Luke Skywalker Kylo Ren dynamic in this. Mm-hmm. I thought that was neat the way that Luke is kind of behaving the way we always imagined Force Ghosts behaved with people they didn't like, just constantly like nagging them, being like, yeah. "Don't go, d- don't go down there." 
don't go down that tomb. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. That sort of stuff is neat. Um, some stuff, like the like you were saying, the ending, I do think the idea of having this massive battle at Coruscant and everything's kind of like in you have oh god, it is it's 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 not the Battle of Endor, mm-hmm. but it feels it's just enough similar to it, but it feels like its own thing. It's like a riff. It feels more like a riff on the Battle of Endor. And the thing that I really I've forgotten about it in the last couple of months, but something I really was kind of hammering on back during the spring and summer of last year was the Force Awakens subplot of Leia having the uh, Warhammer, the giant space yeah. weapon. And we essentially get that in this with Leia piloting or what's the word, captaining or being in charge of a giant space weapon. Yeah, yeah. And I, I thought a lot of that stuff was pretty neat. Things that I, I think we said this, you know, last time I was on, we discussed the summary of this script. Um, there was a lot of stuff that kind of, when I think about it, I think about how I've never really seen it in Star Wars, and that plays is pretty neat. That's what I want from Star Wars. I don't want the same tales over and over. I want new, innovative stuff. Yeah, uh, but there are some things in this that, and it's weird, I don't even think they don't work. They only don't work in a Star Wars sense. Mm-hmm. I think in a just general, we're making a movie, I have no problem with it. Sure. The character of Tor Valum, mm-hmm. I I find it insanely comical <laughs> that we have this character that's supposed to be the big bad guy of all bad guys. And Kylo Ren goes to him and it's like, oh, so you taught Darth Plagueis? And he goes... What? <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like that name means nothing to me. And he's I, like he's like he's we says something like this like Sith are stupid. These are just labels. Yeah. <laughs> and that and then it's like, okay, I'm going to teach you everything that you know to be a bad guy. And the moment he teaches him everything, he's like, Yes, Kylo Ren, I have bestowed all my knowledge to you. And Kylo Ren immediately just like goes full scanners on him and just sucks him dry. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, this is great. I'm like, this is like it's horrible in a Star Wars sense, but it's just like this character is not important. It's it's very similar to why I like The Last Jedi and what happened with Snoke. It's like, oh. This character is not important, and we're going to discard this. Like, not every Star Wars bad guy needs to be the Emperor. Mm-hmm. Like, a bad guy can just be a bad guy. And Kylo Ren, you, it's funny. Like, this is where I've, like, it's, guy, it really pains me to say this, but I've got to give the madman some credit. The <laughs> idea of the character, uh, one of our, oh, God, I don't want to say this, but like, one of our main characters, Kylo Ren, literally using a character, sucking them dry, and then discarding them. I love that as a physical manifestation of like, okay, we use this character for what they for what they're worth. Moving on to the next thing. Yeah, that it kind of shocked me, you know, at reading in the script that it's uh, he he shows up, he gets to meet Torvalum. Torvalum teaches us some stuff, kind of you know, off camera, I guess. And then Kylo Ren's like, I want to get stronger. I want to suck more life force out of things. And Torvalum is like, nope, you got everything on this planet. And Kylo Ren goes, I haven't gotten you yet, man. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a part of that that it's just it's it's comical. Like I can imagine seeing that in my head and just giggling. Um, I, I just sitting in the theater being like, oh, this is horrible. Like it's great horrible. Um, yeah. it, that's that's a Colin Trevorrow moment. That that's just like okay, like efficient storytelling for no other reason than just moving on. Um. Another complaint I really have with this is there's a lot of fan service dialogue. 
Mm-hmm. There, there's some lines of dialogue, and I really wish I would have written them down. But like, there's a lot of just like blatant Star Wars quotes in this. They're so, so on the nose. Yep. Where it's like, oh god, uh, somebody's doing something, and they're like, never tell me the odds. And I'm like, I'm like, no. I'm like, like you don't have to be. And I get it. Like a lot of stuff changes from script to script while you're shooting and editing. Who knows? Mm. But considering that we can only judge this on what we what we have at our fingertips. We have to judge it at face value. And there's a couple instances like that. Like there's even, I think there's one or two lines lifted directly from the prequels where it's like, why are you, why are you referencing this line of dialogue verbatim mm-hmm. other than just like, like there's another, there's a, a, at least a hundred different ways to rephrase this that convey what you're trying to get at and provide a little bit of like a twist, a, a, you know, a riff on the fan service angle of it all. Sure. Um, that, that's kind of my, that was my two biggest things. Tor Valum is, is a giant red flag for a Star Wars fan. Um, I would love to know what the fans would do after we killed off Snoke. And then we introduced the giant big bad of all the bad guys. And we immediately kill him off. Like he's introduced at the end of the first act and he's dead by the end of the second act. So that's what maybe tops 40, not even what tops, maybe 10 minutes of screen time. Yeah, that, that's that's probably an overestimate of what it would have been, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that, that sort of stuff is like it just like as a cynical Star Wars fan, I'm like, I like that. I like the idea of a, a prodding the fan base. Yeah, that and was that, a, a neat thing. The thing that I I definitely picked up on what you were saying about the um, the lines of dialogue being you know clunky in some cases, and it, even though I think it's it's close, if I remember correctly, um, to what you were saying, it's like you know I think somebody like c-3po is like oh we, we were not going to survive this blah 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 and i think pose like shut up don't tell me the odds and then it's like on the other scene um c-3po says something like that again and rose is like tell me the odds i like numbers and i'm like is this supposed to be yep, sarcastic yep. i was like what affect is she saying this with because it's so contradictory to what we just heard yeah there's there's some of that where it's like i again it was I would imagine they turned this in right before the holidays. So mm. they probably just wanted to get something in there and they would come back probably sometime in like January or February and, wor- and work, rework it again. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that sort of stuff I, I'm willing to forgive in the moment. But at the same time, though, a lot of that stuff feels so just randomly interjected yeah. that I, it feels less like Colin Trevorrow and more like a studio note. Mm, that's interesting. That's an interesting point. Um, Another line that stands out to me is, um, I think, what Rose gets kidnapped by Hux at the end. And Hux is like, why'd you change the codes on the ship you stole? And she's like, because we stole it. And then she's like, I don't remember what they are. And she says something like, oh, I was going to make the code Life Day. And it's like, that that has no point. That makes no sense. Because even reading it and me knowing what Life Day is or represents in the Star Wars universe, it's like, why would that be a password? It's like, that just seems so weird if it's like my password for my computer was like Easter, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And, and the sad thing is though, they use that exact same thing in the Mandalorian. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. I guess I'm not going to be home for life day. Yeah. It's like, kill me, kill me. Oh God. It's like, make it stop. Um, yeah, that, that sort of stuff feels just like. And that's the weird thing too, is that like if you have seen like a line of dialogue like that, if you haven't seen the holiday special, means nothing. Exactly. But if you have seen it, all of this is what congratulating you on seeing one of the weirdest things you'll ever see in life. Yeah, and it's still it still is meaningless. You can take it and swap it out with anything else, and it's gonna have the same impact. Exactly. So it's like I 
I, I guess it's the what? It's probably the only noteworthy Star Wars holiday because I don't think in any of the films we ever talk about like any sort of major holidays or events. Yeah, I, none that I can think of or remember. Outside, maybe the thing in the Rise of Skywalker's all the aliens doing their dance at uh, Space uh, Coachella. Oh, oh, yeah, that, whatever that, that thing is. Whatever, whatever that was called. Sand Planet Mardi Gras. Isn't that where Ray gets the beads and stuff like yes, that? Yes, exactly. Um, it's it's Mar- it's the Star Wars equivalent of Mardi Gras and Coachella <laughs> mixed in together. But they, but they have puppet shows, so it has a weird child-friendly atmosphere to it, too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that sort of stuff. Uh, another aspect of this I found, I don't want to know peculiar, but it's, I, I think you and I have mentioned it, and I think even Zenger and I talked about it. Was the Ray Poe romance? Yeah, I know we we talked about it a little bit. Um, this goes hard on it. Like they're really, uh, you know, there's tension between them for sure. And it's not something that I ever thought of when I saw episodes, you know, seven and eight. It's it's kind of like, oh, that's just that's the romance, that's the love connection we get in this script. That's where he decided to to fit it in. That's the weird thing, though, with this is that like. I, I know I've said it before, I don't want to make a big point of it again, though, but there is the moment at the end of The Last Jedi with Poe and Ray, and I sensed it then, and as I was reading this, I'm like, okay, clearly that was being set up, and it, it went nowhere in episode nine, mm-hmm. um, in, in favor of Raylo. Um, but the problem is that, like, I kind of like the romance being built up in this. Maybe I don't like, again, I have no problem if they would have done Ray and Poe together. Cause, but it feels like they're actually trying to build to a point. But the mm-hmm. weird thing is, is this has the buildup, but it has no payoff because yes, they kiss, but it's it, Ray does it very begrudgingly only yeah. because out of necessity. And then after that, it never comes up again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I noticed that as well because, you know, the whole end of this script becomes more of the, you know, saving the galaxy and, and the moment, I guess, uh, where what Ray's on like the astral plane or something talking to Yoda and they're like, you know, you did what we didn't do that. The, it goes a lot into that. But I actually really liked the um, Ray has to go to Mortis and impose like, I don't care what you say, I'm coming with you. And she like Jedi mind tricks him. And there's like, a, like extended dialogue of him going like, you know, don't do this to me. Like, what's this feeling? And I was like, oh, that's that once again, something I've never seen in Star Wars. Mind tricks just work or they don't. And here it's like, it actually, you know, she's doing it for necessity, but to one of the good guys. Yeah. And I like the idea that his, I get, I don't even know what to call it. I don't want to, I think love is too strong of a word. His mm-hmm. affection for her is, I don't want to say overriding it. It takes an act to kind of like sweep him off his feet to kind of really turn his mind off to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, I like that. Uh, I think it's weird that like you said, that it's one of those things where it's not, I don't want to say that's a problem. I don't want to say everything in star Wars has to be set up, but it's the idea of there needs to be a little bit more romantic tension. Cause I know a couple of times in the script, there's like stage directions that say like, there's, there's, there's something here that there's a, an attraction that's palpable, but that's never been discussed before. Yeah. yeah. And that's where it's like, okay, you're, you're giving this film a lot of heavy lifting because it's weird to introduce a romance in the very last act. Cause oh, even definitely. if you think about the original trilogy, like, even though there's really no romance between Han and Leia, you do have Han giving her the wink during the awards stuff, the, Oh God, the, the ceremony at the end, mm. the throne room ceremony. So you do have that like setup, which I would imagine what the last Jedi was trying to do, but you kind of needed that in the force awakens. If you were going to make that a, a through line of the romance and that's, sure. and this is where I think it's weird that where 
the duel of fates has all of the build up there, but no payoff. Yet the rise of Skywalker has no direct build up of the romance between Ray and Kylo Ren, mm-hmm. but it has a has a much better pay actually has a payoff where the other one doesn't. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It if I remember correctly, don't Ray and Poe they don't even meet in uh, the Force Awakens, right? Like it takes no. till the Last Jedi yes. for them to even <laughs> know each other. Well, in the Force Awakens, they are in the same like bunker. Like on the okay. like the, the the resistance planet, mm, they mm. don't interact. Apparently, in the novelization, they do meet. Okay. Um, but obviously, that bit from the novelization was overridden by the events of the Last Jedi. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, they do not literally meet until the very last uh, five minutes of the Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just so yeah. so strange. You know, it's like. Uh, I guess people are interested in that, you know, uh, something that we've talked about uh, before on Knights of Vader and Cinemodities. You know, there's people who are like, uh, they think of Breaking Bad a lot and like Brian Cranston's son in that show. And I think like Jesse Pinkman never, ever meet like they never have any scene ever together. And people are like, isn't that crazy? And I'm like, what do you want? Like, it's like the story works. You didn't need these two people to meet. <laughs> Yeah, and plus, again, Ryan Johnson gets all the blame for that. Like, oh, can you believe how stupid he was? He didn't have them meet. It's like J.J. Abrams is the one that had them in the same room together for an entire scene <laughs> yeah. and, and deliberately split them apart. Like, it's not like Ray could just automatically show up, like, like in a, oh, God, Skype call and be like, hi, Poe, I'm Ray. Hi, Ray, I'm Poe. Like, yeah. can't, I, I, you can't do something that cheesy. But again, we, we blame the wrong people because people don't understand how movies work. Um, but yeah, like, the, like it's weird. I like what I, I love the fact that the rise of Skywalker goes well, very briefly goes all in with the romance, mm-hmm. but I would have liked it if we did have more romantic tension sure. and I guess more blatant romantic tension in the rise of Skywalker, like the duel of fates does, even if it's ham fisted romantic tension. Cause I do think, yeah, like, I don't know. That's there should be a little bit more in the rise of Skywalker. Like when they're having their, uh, oh, God, what's, what are the Raylos calling it? They're calling the Death Star duel between Kylo Ren and Ray, like the lightsaber sex scene. Much like we had hand touching <laughs> sex in The Last Jedi, we have lightsaber sex. Um, I would have liked it maybe at the end of that. There was, a, instead of her just healing him, which I get, that's much more implicit and subtle and i appreciate it for that level but i do think with Ro- i think there's a, a quote if anyone's ever seen the empire dreams original trilogy documentary where irving kirshner is like i want romance in this movie but i don't want like blatant smooching mm-hmm. and i do think the healing even though that convey um conveys affection i do think that that could easily be interpreted as platonic affection sure the idea of healing somebody's wound wounds that you cause both of them I don't think that's just automatically see that and you uh, you see that and you think okay there this is romantic. Yeah, maybe I, I'm I wrong. Would agree. But yeah, um, but yeah, that's again that's one part. It's weird how one one god it's like one half. Only if you combine the two, you could have had this kind of almost ideal. It's weird how they both drop the ball, but in completely uh, different ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I I think on that same topic, he, he reading this script and you know when I so, did see the rise of Skywalker uh, that we got. This it might be my favorite character in Star Wars, Chancellor Hux. Because not only not only is he the spy in Episode Nine, Rise of Skywalker, but I was like laughing like crazy reading the Duel of the Fates script, and we like it's him trying to use the Force and not being able to use it, 
And we get the greatest line I think I've ever read in a script where Hux knows that the, the, the First Order's losing the battle. And it go, it, I'm reading it right here. It's on page 116. And it's Hux realizes the tragic truth. He lost the Star Wars, and he lost the Star Wars is underlined, and I'm like, oh, oh, that is gold. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like bolded too. It's like yep. it's, it's everything. Oh no, like we 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 slightly hinted upon that in last week's episode. Um, that that is fantastic. The only problem is that it's not dialogue. It's yeah, that, it's, that's it's, the only thing I could have hoped for is that we get. The, the snap zoom, just like Hux looks at the camera and says, I'm the spy. I want the same thing, but he says, I lost the Star Wars. <laughs> I, I you know what I'm going to have to repeat it because Rob hasn't heard it yet. But if I ever go to a convention and Dom Hall Gleason is there, <laughs> I am going to spend the $500 and I'm going to record and say, I don't want a picture. I don't want your autograph. Please say, hi, I'm Dom Hall Gleason. You're listening to Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. And I lost the Star Wars. <laughs> I want that. I want that so bad. Like that's like that is like top tier. Like I, like the only other thing I want as much as that is maybe Billy D. Williams saying something. Okay. Um, just because Billy D. Williams has a fantastic voice. But no, um, I lost the Star Wars is possibly the greatest words ever in Star Wars history. <laughs> oh yeah, I love it. I, I got I got to that point and. I was just like sold. Like this, this is everything I wanted from this script by Trevorrow and Connolly. Just this is it uh, embodied in a nutshell, right there. I have to ask though, how do you write that with? Like, how do you write that with a straight face? Like, how do you, how do you submit that with a straight face? Like, if you're an executive, like, can you imagine this had to pass Kathleen Kennedy's hands? If you're her and you read that, like, you have to be like. Like these guys are jerks, right? Like you have to. There's a layer of, and I think that's why like Trevorrow has like this reputation in Hollywood. Is it like? I think he gen. I think in a weird way, Trevorrow's the closest thing we ever would have gotten to another George Lucas level auteur working on Star Wars. Sure. In that somebody was working on Star Wars, and they have a layer of contempt for it. Yeah, that's sure what it seems like. Um, you know, maybe like you said, this got to Kathleen Kennedy's hands, and she read it, and she was like, just you know, turns around, and she just has like puts another strike mark next to Trevorrow's <laughs> name, and he, maybe it was the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be fantastic? She literally got to that point in the script, and she's like, "Fire them!" Yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. So in that, so in that same bit where. Um, where Hux loses the Star Wars, uh, or he realizes he loses the Star Wars, he uh, kills himself with one of this lightsaber that he has, and the script very notably says that he impales himself with a purple lightsaber. So is is the implication that he has Mace Windu's lightsaber? I I, I would imagine so. Is that it's another fan like service. fan service? Yeah, that's because that's I mean you know. When I think of purple lightsaber, I've, I've heard, I think, maybe not on Knights of Vader, but just from, like, the internet and stuff, that isn't he, like, the only one with a purple lightsaber, Mace Windu? I, I haven't, I, I know, I think, the, the problem is that I would imagine in the EU, they probably had other purple ones. Oh, I'm sure. almost certain in canon, he's the only one that had one, uh... I think even in Legends EU, at one point, I think Boba Fett got the lightsaber because the lightsaber, we see the lightsaber go out the window on Coruscant. Yes. 
Um, so that lightsaber, much like Luke's, is still floating around somewhere. <laughs> sure. So I would imagine that it has to be, especially if we're on Coruscant. Mm-hmm. If, if we were on a different planet and this was all happening, I'd be like, well, 50-50 depends on how just fan service yeah. you want to be. But the fact that it's on Coruscant, and like you said, it's specifically noted that it's purple, I can't help but feel that it would have to be a callback. Okay, yeah, sure. That's, it, it seemed like it. And, you know, and like we said with the rest of the script being so fan servicey, that would just be another thing to easily throw in there for them writing it. But that's a sort of, that's, even though I think the dialogue that's fan servicey is over the top and unnecessary, mm-hmm. I think when the fan service is woven into the script and the fabric of the story of the Duel of Fates, I, it understands fan service, I think, better than any of the other films have. Okay, okay, interesting. Because you do have things like, I know in the concept art, and we'll get to that in a moment, because we, since we've started the series, we haven't talked about any of the concept art that's leaked, and I'll include that in the show notes if you haven't uh, seen that already. It's, I know Ray is wearing an outfit in this that's very similar to Luke's in Return of the Jedi. It's the black with, like, the little, like, uh, Oh God! I don't, what the, the God? I don't know my uh, fashion. With the the part that's like peeled back that has the white underneath. Oh sure, like the um, like what the lapel or something like that. Yeah, I was gonna say lapel, but I didn't know if that was the correct word for it. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Comment down below if uh, you think we're terrible fashion people because Zach and yes. I are. <laughs> I. Like even though that's fan servicey, mm-hmm. I like that more than Ray wearing the exact same outfit she wore in The Force Awakens, but it being a, a brighter like white hue. Sure, yeah, she, change it up. Can't go wrong with that. Yeah, sure. And it's there to also, much like Luke's outfit in Return of the Jedi, it's there to convey the 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 the, the, the turmoil and the in the darkness. Mm-hmm. I like that. I think that would, it would give her, she would have stood out a lot more. I know in a couple of the pieces of concept art, it shows her with this outfit. Yeah. And I think she, her thing is very stark compared to anything that we saw her in any of the previous movies. Even, um, and even though last Jedi, she only wears her outfit toward the, the, the second and third act. Mm-hmm. I think it's much more striking than just kind of like the very muted, like grays and blues and white she wears in, in that film. I would have definitely preferred that, even if it is derivative of Return of the Jedi, because at least it it adds to Ray's character arc by the end of the film. The idea yeah. of having to harbinger harbit, eh. oh god, what's the word for it? It's late. I'm tired. Um, <laughs> uh, oh god, Rob, what's the word for it? Uh, be the harbinger of. <laughs> no, 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 no. I guess to con- to reconcile both the the darkness and the light at the same time. Ah, uh, oh, I get what you're saying now. Like the the balance idea that we get sure. at the end of this script and showing that off in a, in yeah. a visual sense. Yeah, sure. You can't just you have to you have to have both. No one is completely pure. And no one's completely evil either. You yeah. have to. Yeah. So yeah, th- there's that balance that she needs to embody, and I and I like that. Um. That that's the sort of fan service that I'm willing to do because obviously Ray's not wearing the same clothes that Luke did how many years prior. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's the sort of stuff I like because even we get some in some of the more fans. I don't, don't want to say fan service; that's not fair. Um, but like we get uh, Kylo Ren and Ray fighting toward the end of the film, and she has the what everybody always wanted the double bladed lightsaber, like that's been like it's her staff that's been retrofitted. Yeah, I uh, I I was surprised that the script didn't do more with that. At least I know, of course, it's going to be a very visual thing. But you know, it's mentioned at the beginning when Ray is introduced to uh, on that opening mission, 
and it like describes the lightsaber and how she's able to use it. And then I totally forgot that she even had it. So it mentions it again in that final act, that battle that we've been talking about. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I forgot about that, I guess. Well, yeah, because she she uses it the very beginning when they're escaping the Kuat shipyards. Mm -hmm. She uses it against the Knights of Ren on the I don't even know what kind of planet you would call it. It's like the weird like tropical like I even I even I couldn't even describe the planet until I saw the concept art for it. Yeah, but but the planets described as having like all these like loading docks for ships that like rotate. Mm -hmm. It's something if, you, if anybody's ever seen Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, it's kind of like the ending of that with the automated parking garage where it's just like all these platforms that are automated and lower and raised ships. And apparently we have a fight on this thing where the, the platforms are going up and down side to side and Ray is fighting the Knights of Ren while Chewbacca and Poe are shooting at them. Mm -hmm. That And she uses it again during the third act. So she really only uses the lightsaber in three instances. Yeah, yeah, and I, I did like that, I guess, the, the middle battle with the Knights of Ren. I thought that was uh, interesting. It piqued my interest, at least, you know, and once again, like, we're just reading the script, but um, I, th I thought it was uh, written well, you know, in that sense. Yeah, because, like, even looking at the concept art, it, uh, the plant's name is called Bonadin. Mm -hmm. That game, from the very limited art that we have, like, that gave me a very, like, uh, Morocco vibe. Like in the sense, like you have this kind of like I don't want to say lush world, but you have this kind of this. It feels very like rocky and stuff, but it also feels like there's, it's teeming with a lot of life and vegetation. Okay, but you do have like this sort of like opulence. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm not, looking maybe. at that uh, those those pictures of it now, and yeah, I see what you're saying for sure. It's got like a uh, you know a little bit of like a, almost. Uh, an Italian vibe, like the Cinque Terre, you got all these buildings lit up on the mountainside type of thing. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah, and you can, it feels, it's something different. But that's another thing, too, I've been thinking about the Rise of Skywalker, is that you look at the Rise of Skywalker, and on a, a visual level, I think it's a very boring film. Okay. Or, or just very tedious, because, like, we have, we, the film begins with yes you have I'm, I'm ignoring mustafar but you have the resistance planet ajas Kloss, or however it's pronounced and it's essentially yavin mixed with endor mm, sure then we go to pasana and pasana is uh, it's tatooine it's jakku it's, <laughs> again it's yeah <laughs> Jeddah. it's the exact same thing we've seen before then we go to kef burr or however it's pronounced and it, that's endor mm -hmm. um it, it's just a little bit more dirt has more dirt and less vegetation than endor did and it's like, okay, and Exicol at least is a little bit different, but there's really nothing there other than just blue hues. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's the lightning blue hue planet, and that's it begins and ends there. And that's where, with looking at the, uh, the Duel of Fates concept art, it seems like a much more visually interesting film. Than yeah, what I, I, we would got. Have, I would have to agree, especially in um, you know, the, the scene where they get the um they send the Leia's transmission out to you know the whole galaxy pretty much and we get all the stuff like uh, the dialogue spread out because it switches the exterior shots and different planets and people looking at it and i think that would have been really neat to see you know to show off kind of all these planets that you know are kind of inconsequential in this grand scheme of things but just to kind of add to that those visual flair and uh, the way that they described uh, Connolly and Trevor described Mortis and like the visions of Mortis, I was like, oh, wow, I would have loved to see that, you know, make it like a big grand locale for these big fights, you know. And, and sure, in what we got in Rise of Skywalker, the uh, the Death Star wreckage stuff is, is neat, you know, for what it is. But 
like you said, it's just somewhere we've been before. Yeah. And for the record, I didn't mean when I said Morocco, I meant Monaco. I that's I, I got I got my 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 countries confused because <laughs> okay. it is because okay. I looked up, I looked up like Morocco and I'm like yeah this isn't what I'm really getting at and I typed in Monaco and that's yeah it's very Monaco esque in that sense mm-hmm. um, but no the Mortis thing at the end I I I don't know like you, know, you watch the Mortis trilogy yep and I don't know how they could have explained that to filthy casuals mmm that's a good point yeah now that I've I have seen that Mortis stuff and you've you know, uh, just talked about the finer details of it way back when we did that episode. I was certainly aware of it. It'd be interesting to know how I would have reacted if I wasn't in some way. Um, I, but I guess you know, once again, I'm biased for the reason I just said. But they they do some uh, uh, the the dialogue at least does some work in trying to say that it's like you know the birthplace of the force, like the center of the or the start of the galaxy or the universe or something like that. And so that might seem like heady or maybe too mystical. To just throw at somebody, but at least you know it's it's it wasn't you know it's set up somehow. But I I get what you're saying. It would be tough to sell that to mass audiences. I I like that as as an individual, like me being Zach, the person that likes weird crap. Mm-hmm. I like that the idea of going to a place that like you don't really understand how understand how it works. And they've always, even to this day, Lucasfilm has been very guarded about what Mortis is and how it just operates. Sure. But I just like I, I know we have that one character, uh, not Babu Frick, that explains all this to Ray, and it's like that's just because remember even from Mortis you can't go to Mortis. It's more of a state of mind because if you remember from the Clone Wars episode, uh, Obi Wan, Anakin, and Ahsoka are like flying to like a like a oh god like a distress beacon. Yep. And then the ship gets supposedly like dragged into some sort of like atmosphere. And then at the end of that arc, they like wake up in the ship and they're like, uh, was it Rex is on the Star Destroyer being like, excuse me? It's like, you call, you call, Commander Skywalker, come in. We lost you there for a second. Like, yeah. what do you mean for a second? We've been gone for weeks. No, sir. It's been like five seconds since your last communication. And that's why, even with the very end of this, where we have the, the, the fight between Kylo Ren and Ray and he's uh, killed, it's like, oh, how is. Like, has race? I don't want to say escape, but has she leave this place? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And because, you know, it, it was weird to, uh, Ray gets, you know, a map to Mortis, and and she's just able to, you know, to beat the Knights of Ren, take their ship and go there. Um, but they do do some of that stuff where, I don't know, I guess maybe a good way to think about it is like Mortis is kind of like folded in the universe, like you can't always get there. Because they say, what, it's like Ray goes through like a black hole or something at light speed to get there. And then it's like, mm. well, how, how, how are you going to get out of that one? Well, it's funny, when you mentioned that, you know like, what movie I thought of? What? Interstellar. <laughs> well, it, it felt just like, <laughs> it felt like Interstellar, where it's like, Tars! Tars! <laughs> Matt Damon. You... <laughs> no, he's dead by that point. He already blew up the ship. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. Oh, it's, it, oh god, it's like, and we go through what the tesseract prism of all the different bookcases. Yeah, yep. And then you end up on Mortis. <laughs> yes. And at one point, Ray, Ray just starts screaming, "Murph, Murph!" <laughs> now, see, um, that would have been that would have made uh, me more interested in Interstellar if he ends up in Mortis at the end. <laughs> if Christopher but, Nolan did a Star Wars tie-in, but but I think that's the the thing about ending the film with Mortis is that like if you think about Interstellar in the end with the uh, oh god I already said the word the um, 
Oh my god, I said what was, what was the Tesseract? The Tesseract yeah, yeah. with all the different uh, libraries or the the bedrooms is that during that entire sequence where Matthew McConaughey's like what what is this place? Tars is the Deus Ex Machina explaining how it works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can't have Mortis cuz even think back think back to Clone Wars. You have the father Explain that to the characters every single time a question comes up. Yeah, and that's I think like you can't have this world that's essentially just like a video game level for the protagonist and, and the antagonist to fight each other. It it feels like you're cheapening Mortis. Mm-hmm. Like not because I know it's not want to fall into the trap of everything in Star Wars needs to be explained, but it's just like Mortis is just one of those like Star Wars enigmas that like if you are gonna show it you have to explain just how crazy it is okay. it's like ima- imagine rob like you're watching twin peaks and you go like imagine like oh god what's again rob knows his twin peaks terminology better than i do but like the place where david bowie tea kettle lives imagine oh yeah the um i think it's the uh the white lodge uh no it's called it's called something like the place above the di- the gas station or something like that it's uh it, it's probably part of one of the lodges but it has some other specific name uh, sure, who, but who is Judy? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but imagine if you had that in Star Wars and you don't explain and you don't explain it all, at all. Like that would be really like what? Where'd Ray go? What is this place? And I feel like if they actually did this, it would be a very similar thing to like Darth Maul at the end of Solo, mm-hmm. where it would be like you have like the Star Wars fans would have to explain to the normies mm-hmm. what's happening at the end. Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I'm I'm thinking about in Rise of Skywalker that we do have, you know, it's not to say that we don't have these things that have led to questions, but it's not stuff that, you know, would require, like you said, the, the, the diehard fans explaining it to other people. Like, just nobody understands how Palpatine has a kid, just period. And it, that's kind of, they can get away with it more because it's not something that's been explained elsewhere or, you know, really requires explanation at the end of the day. But that's the weird thing, though. Is, okay, well, this is the thing, though, is that, like, in The Rise of Skywalker, they could have said, oh, Ray, you're a Palpatine. And you can leave it at that. Yet they have to have this stupid flashback of two random actors as her mm-hmm. parents being like, and telling, what's his name, Sochi, the Jedi hunter, we'll never tell you where she is. It's like, it doesn't matter. Ray is a Palpatine. You don't need to have a stupid scene with two characters we've never seen before. You make your creative decision, you run with mm-hmm. it. Sure, people, sure. The audience is either going to accept Ray as a Palpatine or they're not. Having a bunch of random actors just reinforce that is not in the way that they did. I'm not saying you couldn't do more, you couldn't do something different with it, mm-hmm. but just having that, and that's the thing that I have to admit I like with this is that it kind of assumes that like, okay, you're along for the ride now. We're not going to have to spoon feed you a lot of this stuff. Yeah, and that makes of, sense for for the end of a of a saga of a trilogy that, you know, it should be set up in some sense. And people are, they know that the fans or the audience is on board because they are seeing the third in a trilogy, the ninth in a whole saga. But I'm not even looking at it as in like a film that has to like repeat itself to, um, as to what happened earlier. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like, uh, a Palpatine's line at the beginning of the rise of Skywalker where Kylo Ren's like, how are you still alive? And he's like, the dark side is a pathway to many yeah. abilities and, and forget that that's fan service. That's that first and foremost, that's fan service. But once again, you're, 
you have to they're trying to explain palpatine's return very implicitly and mm-hmm. i and to the people out there they were mad because i think in some interview daisy ridley it's like oh palpatine's return is explained in the film and people are mad like oh why didn't we get that and it's because it doesn't yeah. matter he's back you don't need to explain it palpatine is this evil sith wizard that just can do whatever the hell he wants um you don't need to, there are certain things in star wars you don't need to explain it happened deal with mm-hmm. it move on um, it kind of reminds me of like uh, the beginning of Iron Man two, where they like introduced Don Cheadle as a uh, uh, Iron uh, War Machine. Oh, yeah. And like, I like, it's like, well, God, the uh, oh, God, the Congress hearing, or the, and it's like, and it's like, oh, we have Colonel Rhodes, and it's like a shot from the back is like Don Cheadle walks in, and it's like, in uh, Robert Downey Jr. is like, oh, I know you're coming. He's like, I'm here, just deal with it. <laughs> and that's all that matters. Like, it's like, yep. it's like I'm here, deal with it, and that's. What I like about the Duel of Fate script is that there's a lot of just Star Warsy stuff that comes out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and we don't harp on it. Like the idea of, uh, oh God, um, I forget it, the 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 main Knight of Ren. That's the I guess Kylo Ren's like inadvertent top lieutenant. That like yeah, it's like lit- Hataska or something like that. Yeah, that apparently lives like in a rehabilitation chamber on oh, yeah. their ship. And it's never explained. There's it's just like, oh, there's this thing. And it's like, okay. I'm like, that's great. Like that's the like that's the thing about the Knights of Ren, is that like if you are gonna focus on them, for every moment that you give them more of a spotlight, mm-hmm. you have to create another enigma for them at the same time. Sure, you gotta, sure. For every and that's what and I think that's the weird thing, is like in a weird way. Like this script, I have to say, is the most coherent Trevorrow thing I've ever consumed. I was a little surprised that I was reading through it, and I'm like, this this seems normal, you know, for what I was expecting. Exactly, compared to the guy that makes Jurassic World, and it's like, oh, or Dinosaur Boogaloo, where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, dinosaur auction, a dinosaur that winks into the camera. <laughs> um, like, even though that's still one of the greatest moments in film history, it's the, I, it's just the notion of what, like, is he competent, or is it Derek Connolly who's competent, or is it that maybe one of them just, like reigns the other one in a little bit? Like, I would, yeah. I wonder how many interviews there are about the two of them, like. How their symbiotic relationship is When it comes to writing Obviously Trevorrow being the writer And the, I'm sorry, the co-writer and the director And Connolly just being a writer I wonder what sort of influence that has Or maybe Connolly writes a lot of this stuff And it's Trevorrow's job to Kind of bring it to the screen So maybe he has, he's a little less hands-on mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting to know About them um, To really kind of get into the the finer details and the, the maybe the sense of mystery behind like our Book of Henry's and our uh, Jurassic World 2 dinosaur boogaloo and those types of ideas and getting fleshed out. And and like even we said with this script, I would love to know um, with uh, Huck saying, you know, he lost the Star Wars. It was that something they both were like, oh, yeah, let's do it. This is great. Or was it one of them and they or maybe they kind of went back and forth. It'd be it'd be neat to know. Well, a little bit of, I guess, peek behind the curtain. It doesn't seem like Derek Connolly was involved at all with the Book of Henry. Okay, okay. So so that would make me think that uh, Derek Connolly is the one doing some reigning in. Yes, but I'm pretty sure he co-wrote Dinosaur Boogaloo. Okay, okay. So that's like, and I think it's fair to say, Rob, as much as we laugh, like, um, sorry, we like to laugh at Dinosaur Boogaloo. I think we both understand that's the more strange. It pains me to say this: the more coherent between the two films in the Trevorrow filmography. 
Yeah, if I remember my dinosaur movies correctly, I would I would think so. <laughs> yeah, I, Dinosaur Boogaloo is much more normal than the Book of Henry. Sure, that yeah, that and, definitely, and and uh, because you know at least I think I think we said it before. You know whether it be on here or Cinemodities, there is some kind of uh, dinosaur movie like Star Wars. They're already grounded in fantasy and sci-fi, and we're I think we're more receptive to just like you know letting certain things fly where book of henry is grounded in reality and that just adds to the insanity of it yeah yeah i, I think so but i think that's the weird thing with star wars too that there are some things in this that i i can't help but feel that star wars fans would tear it apart mm -hmm. and i wonder if lucasfilm ever looks at these films under that sort of lens like when they're reading a script like this and i imagine they're scrutinizing this thing up, down, sideways, every way possible. But I wonder if there's a layer of you can't have a character like Torvalum because the fans are going to be upset that where where was this character? Mm -hmm. Why was yeah, I know never I said, heard about him before? Yep. And I wonder if they look at it that way because that's a very Star Warsy nerd. That's a comic book guy level criticism. Sure. And I wonder if they if that's the sort of thing they they, they scrutinize because. There are other things. I'm even like we haven't even talked about the um, like Finn's part in this, where him and Rose go to Coruscant to reset the beacon. They get split apart, and Finn all like out of nowhere leads a rebellion of thousands on Coruscant against the First Order. Yep, and that sort of stuff where I I I, I don't know, like like that's. That's something new in Star Wars. The idea of having a character that's a turncoat eventually lead the rebellion. Like, think about it. all of our heroes are always introduced as, for the most part, heroes. Again, Han Solo comes and goes because of the whole Han, like, uh, shooting Greedo. Mm -hmm. But our heroes are almost always established as heroes. Like we, Outside of maybe Darth Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi, him throwing the Emperor down the chasm, most of our protagonist and yes finn is a good guy first and foremost but the idea that finn has such a huge character arc from going from a a stormtrooper that has a change of heart in a moment of crisis to i am leading a rebellion of thousands yeah yeah that's that stood out to me uh in this script as well for sure because if i remember correctly finn has almost nothing to do in the episode nine we do have um but it, it's kind of it makes it when I was reading this script, it made me think of something that you said to me and on this podcast multiple times where you were uh, before episode nine came out. You always made that point where you think that the first and the third in the trilogy are going to be more tied to each other than the one in the middle, like uh, like the Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. And that's the sense I got from the Finn stuff, because that's a, a big part of The Force Awakens, at least from my memory, is that, you know, he. He defects to the rebellion. He wants to get away from the first order, and then in this one, he really kind of finishes that arc where he gets others to follow in his footsteps, and you know because he knows it's the right thing to do. Yeah, and like you said, in the Rise of Skywalker, he yes, he leads the assault on the first order star destroyer. He does lead that. Mm -hmm. So you you I guess you get a very smaller scale version of that. From, from what the Duel of Fates was trying to do. But at no point in the Duel of Fates do we have, once again, Finn going on a suicide run. Yeah, true. Because that's what's so weird, too. Is like At the end of The Last Jedi, he's going to crash his ship into the Death Star air cannon, mm -hmm. and Rose saves him. And then at the end of The Rise of Skywalker, he's going to blow up the command ship, and he's 
once again, suicide run. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, so the character, not even worse than just like not learning his lesson the first time, he's regressed. He's doing the exact same thing. Again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's good. I didn't it, think about it that way, but yeah. It's, instead of having Rose show up and, and kind of sideswipe his ski speeder, Lando shows up and they hop on. It's like, it's mm. just. There, there's a lot of that in the Rise of Sky. The, Sky, the Rise of Skywalker objectively has a lot of problems. It, it does. Like it's one of those films. I think it's. It reminds me the people who love it, and I am in that boat. It's like what happened with Attack of the Clones. Like, like after, even though I was only nine years old at that time, I can still remember like everybody talking about Yoda. Oh my God, that like, Yoda fights the guy at the end. That's all oh, you see. Yoda do things you never thought he could do before. Mm-hmm. And everybody talked about that until we just stopped. <laughs> sure, and that and that's and, and think about it. if you want to pe- like, if you ask people in May of 2002, name your top five Star Wars moments. That would without a doubt be in their top five. Without a doubt, okay. it would be up there. It, and I get it. We have a lot more content now. A lot has changed in almost 20 years. But if you were to ask people now to rank your favorite or most important Star Wars moments, I'd be shocked if that made someone's top 20. Mm, yeah, that that's an interesting point. I remember that even back in the day, everybody talking about Yoda flipping around. <laughs> well, there's even I, on, if anybody has their Attack of the Clones DVD, there's a TV spot on there, and it's a pretty clever piece of marketing. And it begins and it has the same like Sony Spider-Man font, and it's using all these like like double entendres with like swinging and and like and like a. Uh, Oh god, I, I I forget like whatever sort of Spider-Man words there are. Sure, yeah. And it's like it's like take the ultimate like swing, have the like all these stuff like this, and it cuts to Yoda like doing the thing in Attack of the Clones where he puts the <laughs> lightsaber in his hand with the Force, and it's him doing the yeah, he's like swinging. It's like Attack of the Clones now in theaters. Um, I didn't start the clip, but it's all like visually based. There's really no sure. there's no voiceover. Um, it's probably on YouTube. Go look it up if you haven't already, people. Um, if I can, I'll put it in the show notes, but I don't know if it's on YouTube. Um, but that's the sort of thing that, like, in The Rise of Skywalker, that I, it's like, there's, I don't think there's a lot of great, like, moments in The Rise of Skywalker you can point to. It'd be like, oh, like, that's one of my new favorite moments of the series. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you have the kiss at the end, and I absolutely love uh, Palpatine Monster Mash, just every single scene he's yeah. in, he's phenomenal. Um, but that's more a character. As opposed to a sequence. Yeah. And that's a weird thing. Like, you think about, like, Last Jedi, you have Luke Skywalker at the end, you have Snoke getting cut in half, you have all these really, like, iconic moments, for better or worse, depending on what your opinion on the film is. Even The Force Awakens has Chewie, we're home. It has um, Luke Skywalker at the end on top of the hill. Mm-hmm. You have Ray pulling the lightsaber into her hands. And I don't need to go through the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy's moments, but think about the rise of Skywalker. It's like, what, where's that iconic moment? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, the, I, I think now it's just, it's been proven to me. The thing that I remember the most from the rise of Skywalker is I'm the spy. <laughs> and that's not for the reasons that the, they want us to remember things from star Wars. That's for the opposite reason. Cause it just plays so comically. Yeah. I do have to say though is that this another like accolade for this script, it really handles Hux well. Yeah, I like I said, I really liked the him trying to use the force and not being able to do it and being like kind of a uh, like a like a like a force and lightsaber and Jedi fanboy almost type of thing. It was interesting, but he obviously he again it's a show. I think it's 
I remember once Pablo Hidalgo was saying, and this is in regards to Kylo Ren, that he was meant to be like an embodiment of the original trilogy fan or the original trilogy purist, okay. and that he's this person that's obsessed with that era and he wants to wipe out any remnants of anything that's outside of that era. And I've always found that interesting as a concept, even though maybe it's not hundred percent in the film. Sure. But I like the idea of Hux being this, like maybe and again, this is my own interpretation. Being like you said, this fanboy, and he thinks he can, what's the word, harness this power simply by collecting things. And it's yeah. that Star Wars fandom thing of like, okay, I'm going to be the biggest Star Wars fan, not because I, I understand these movies, but because I'm just going to keep just accumulating a collection of it. Yeah, that is a neat idea. You know, it's kind of like um, he sees these Jedi or Kylo Ren or Force users, and it's like, well, I want to be like one of them, so I got to get the gear first, you know? They yep. have lightsabers. I need one of those. They they do. They wave their hands. I got to do that too. And it, it's almost there's that disconnect that he doesn't realize that you know it takes something more than that to become one of those people. Yeah, and I think it also makes Hux a real character because I think any Star Wars fan at some point in their life has raised their hand to something hoping that it moves. Mm. Sure, <laughs> and, I, and I think there's that human element to it too that makes it makes Hux a real character. He's not just like, oh, good lord, scene chewing guy from the first film, mm -hmm. comedic relief in the second film, and just a character that needs to be disposed of in the third film. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it it did flesh him out a little bit more, and I think that's like I said earlier, what I liked about it. It's still it's still goofy, you know, like the I'm the spy thing, but it gave it a little more depth behind it. Yeah, like you can like again. There's a lot of goofy. Like, that's the thing about Star Wars too. Everybody has to stop putting Star Wars on a pedestal. That you you gotta stop looking at this stuff as if it were perfect. There's a lot of goofy things in this in this entire series, whether it be the sequels, the prequels, or the original trilogy. Oh yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's just it's goofy. Like I know a lot of people. Like everybody worships Empire, but like you look at like if you're not a diehard Star Wars fan, you look at the Dagobah cave sequence with Luke and he chops the head off and it just like like he swipes at the head and it just falls off and then it explodes and you see a face like that's comical if you're not a star wars fan mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's like what is going on it's like and i get it it's the I, I get the symbolism of it all but like it's like it's goofy like in that sort of way to explain that, like oh luke's like think about it. luke's afraid of becoming or it's supposed to show luke the folly of his ways if he pursues a very specific path that he will turn into vader instead of getting a sequence that shows like how power can corrupt we just get the good guy's head smushed in the bad guy's helmet Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I mean. So like that's the sort of thing that like if that was done the um I know we have that we have a sequence in this where Kylo Ren fights Force Ghost Darth Vader. Yep. And and even though I I don't like that as a concept because I think they would have really made Vader into a car uh, like a cartoon character. Mm hmm Like they would have had him again flipping around doing Lord knows what. Yeah. yeah. In Inv Invader should always be like the equivalent of a tank. Is that like he shouldn't he should never move fast he yeah i i agree that would i didn't think about it that way but that would have been ridiculous to see it you know be come darth vader be more comical because you know i think that's the one thing that everybody can agree on darth vader's been done right they don't need to do him in any other way you know he's great in in the original trilogy and then we got that awesome scene from rogue one where like you said he's just a tank and and that's it we don't need to change that you know leave some things be
Yeah, and, and that's part of the brilliance too of Rogue One, is that like you think of, and this is maybe more the video game aspect of these characters, is that like if you if you are Darth Vader, and even though yes he's he has all these magical powers, but if you're this like half man cybernetic organism, and you have all this like machinery, you're not going to be able to move fast. Yeah. Like every and every movement you make has to be deliberately coordinated and choreographed so you have to like when you walk into a room with the intention of killing somebody or a group of people you have to have formulated out how you're going to do this in advance Mm -hmm. and i think that's the the brilliance of rogue one is that we don't have vader flipping around like you said he's the bad i'm sorry our good guys the group of fleet troopers are literally fish in a barrel and he's just he's gonna plow through them until something eventually stops him, which is the ship leaving the the larger ship. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing. I think by even if it's even though it's a vision, so it's not Vader in the flesh, I think you're robbing that character of just how unique he is by having him. And again, we don't know. That's all we have is concept art and a script. But by but by living in today's current era, you can't help but assume they would make it over the top. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that would I don't know, I'd like seeing Darth Vader do something with any real sense of mobility or like acrobatics, just it's it feels so weird to me, you know, when I hear it and say it. It's like imagine if you know, imagine if Robocop flipped around at the end of Robocop, how how strange that would be. I'm pretty sure he does that like in the they did the Robocop remake. Oh yeah, I never I'll, I never saw that. I, I think that's what it would have been. Like I, I know, like in the RoboCop remake, he does things like that, and I think that's what it would have been. It just like because you, you know why it's that. Uh, I think I've referenced it before, but I remember when Screen. I'm sorry. Honest Trailers did their like thing for the original RoboCop. Like they mm-hmm. did their one for like I, when the, the new RoboCop came out. Like God, six years ago now, maybe even longer. And I remember them talking about it, like in one of their commentaries. And they're like, if you look at the comments for that like video, all this is a bunch of thirteen year olds saying about how stupid the effects look. Oh jeez. <laughs> and that's and that's the problem is that like and that's kind of where the point where Star Wars is going. Where like they want new fans, but the new mm-hmm. fans want a video game. Yeah, they want something that's so different from what Star Wars has been for a long time. And it's not even what it's been. It's just practical. Like, if sure. you want, like, it makes sense for, like, that's the weird thing, too, about, like, uh, like the, the, the duel between Rey and Kylo Ren on the Death Star wreckage. And, yes, there's a lot of flipping. There's much more flipping and twirling in that. Mm-hmm. It's the most prequel-esque duel in the series when you compare it to things like Duel of the Fates, as in the Phantom Menace or Obi Wan versus Anakin in Revenge of the Sith, sure. but still, like you think at this point, like we've like think about, it, we're introduced to Rey in the Rise of Skywalker, and she's levitating off the ground with like what two dozen rocks around her, mm-hmm. clearly signifying that she's if she's much more powerful than when we left her a year prior. And Kylo Ren, again, we're introduced to him in the beginning of the film, just slaughtering a group of people to he's literally the last man standing. Yep. So you would think that they would have gone a little bit more over the top, considering these are both young people. Again, by the events of the Rise of Skywalker, I think Kylo Ren is thirty and Ray okay. is twenty. So it would make sense to have people of that age have the ability to flip, twirl, be a little bit more. What's the word? Embellish the choreography of the fight scenes. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's part of the J.J. Abrams practical effects real sets in that like mm-hmm. oh the 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 original trilogy didn't do this thus we can't do it and the only reason why the original trilogy wasn't that way is because they were limited by the technology 
Yeah, exactly. So that that sounds like it's a sense of, you know, J.J. Abrams being such a nostalgia-ridden kind of uh, with these ideas, at least in Star Wars, and taking it in a good way, you know? Because cause there's kind of a, it's it's kind of, I feel like, maybe a split even between the nostalgia of appreciating what the original trilogy did and at the same time not going overboard because you can do it now. Well, that's my, no, but I see, I disagree with that, though. I would have preferred having a, like, you're never going to be able to outdo uh, the episode one duel. You're never going to sure. be able to outdo that because you have Darth Maul, Obi Wan, Anakin. They're just uh, it's it, that whole fight is very kinetic. There's never a a dull moment there. Um, even if you hate the Phantom Menace, you have to admire just the the orchestration of it all. It really is um something to to marvel at. But I do think like you think about that duel. Like I think even in the uh, soundtrack for the Rise of Skywalker, the track that plays over that uh, sequence of the film is called the Final Duel. And it's really just a bunch of them. They, they like Ray walks away from, I'm sorry, how that begins. Kylo Ren hops off the throne room mm-hmm. and they, they kind of clash blades a couple of times. Then she jumps away from him. He follows after her. They clash a couple more times. She does like a, a flip backwards and does an Iron Man esque landing. Yep. And it's like, that's kind of it. And like you think about that, like that sequence, like you're, they're fighting on the like the the wreckage of the Death Star in the water during a rainstorm, and this is the best you could come up with. Like you couldn't hire a a sword fighting choreographer. That uh, that's an interesting point. I, I guess you know I, I've never thought about it that way, but uh, from what I remember, that whole scene, sure, we get a, a battle, and I didn't know about the soundtrack, the final duel, that type of thing. But that's that whole kind of fight was more i don't know it seemed more um mental rather than physical because that's isn't that the whole where she stabs him she gets healed or he heals somebody heals somebody else leia reaches out to him han solo shows up afterwards or something like that the after the the part where she impales him or i'm sorry when you have the part where kylo ren is going to kill her he has Mm -hmm. her cornered and Leia st- distracts him long enough that Ray impales him. I'm not talking about that. That I have no problem with. Okay. I want a little bit more embellishment in the sword fighting. If you are going to have the final lightsaber duel of the Skywalker saga, quote unquote. Fair, fair. I think, you, especially you have a really fun environment. Have the like the rain, have the water played effect into it. Because think of like all the stuff like in the Phantom Menace. Like there's even I'm not sure how many fans even recognize this, but in the 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 duel in the the, the Phantom Menace, what very early on where uh, Kai, oh, God, all these Star Wars names are driving me crazy. <laughs> Obi Wan and Qui Gon are kind of going after Maul, and they're still like in the the hangar on Naboo before they go into the. Oh god, the, the generator complex. Yeah. There is a door behind Maul as he's backing up, and with the force, he takes a scrap piece or a oh god, a, def, a, a piece of a battle droid and throws it with the force at the door control so it opens. The mm. camera at no point ever focuses on this. It's just there happening in the background very subtly. And that's the sort of stuff that like I think would be really fun in this. Like imagine like Ray's hopping backwards and it's like, uh-oh, a piece of the metal's up. So we see her bend it down with the force. And then she has to kind of, I don't know, walk across it and like and it's a very narrow piece of metal or something mm-hmm. like that. So to show in- off a little more strategy rather than just, you know, kind of like you said, clash, jump away, clash, jump away. Something to illustrate um a little more of, you know, how how these people have grown in their abilities. Sure, because if you look at that duel on this, the Death Star wreckage, 
on a visual level, nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. And on a subtextual level, nothing is happening. Because prior to that, she finds the Wayfinder. Kylo Ren rips it out of her hands. He crushes it. And she starts to swipe at him out of frustration and anger. Okay. And that's it. So why are, why are they fighting? Like they're only fighting because even prior to that, like when she's swiping at him, he doesn't even take out his lightsaber. He dodges all of her attacks just by maneuvering certain ways, which I think is great. Like I thought, I thought that was really cool. The idea that he's learned so much since their first confrontation on Starkiller Base, where she gets the better of him, mm-hmm. that he's gotten to a point in his training and just prowess with a lightsaber that he's able to dodge her attacks without ever having to take out his blade. I think that is really neat. And yes, you can't have that for an entire sequence because it gets boring and just you lose the effect. So I know he's got to pull out the lightsaber at some some point. But they're they're fighting for, it seems like, no other reason than just the script is telling them to fight. Mm, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, for sure. Like, you, you juxtapose that to the duel in Revenge of the Sith, and Obi-Wan and Anakin are fighting for two very specific reasons. Mm-hmm. Anakin is fighting because... Obi-Wan brought Padme here and exposed me for what, I'm, what I've become. Yep. He now has to die because as out of retribution. Obi-Wan goes to Anakin because he must now be punished for what he's done. Mm-hmm. That is a fight. Of, and I think that's why I, I think it's wrong to say uh, the Phantom Menace duel is the best duel of the saga because there's really no deep meaning to the Phantom Menace duel. Okay. Oh, yeah, just, just they gotta get the bad guy at the end. Yes, <laughs> it's like okay, and we have our lightsaber sequence now. But mm-hmm. I'm willing to forgive that because that's the first time we've ever seen that sort of thing in Star Wars. So it being that first really big spectacle lightsaber duel, it's like okay, I'm fine. I'm willing to forgive it for that for not having that layer yeah. of symbolism. But in the Rise of Skywalker, you think after three movies, Kylo Ren and Rey have fought against each other, fought back to back with each other. Now, you think you would have a really deep meaning to their duel, and I think that's something the Duel of Fates, the film, or the script accomplishes, in that Rey isn't just simply confronting Kylo Ren because the script calls for them to have a lightsaber sequence. He's there because, on Mortis, because if he sits in one of these thrones, or, I'm not sure, does he consume, what's his goal there, to consume Mortis? Yeah, I think his goal is. He goes into the temple and finds that like kind of big well, and and it seems like that's the source of power in some uh, to some extent. Sure. Okay. Fine. It, 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 there's a reason for it. She has to confront him because if she doesn't, every the universe is at risk. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And plus, you can add a retribution level to Kylo Ren. Like this, this is the scavenger girl. Who are you to challenge my position in all this? You can yeah. throw in a layer there. Um, but I think that's. An element again. It shows a either intentionally or unintentionally a greater understanding of the Star Wars mythos than the Rise of Skywalker does. Okay, okay. And that's and again, like I, I still think the thing with Mortis is still co- too convoluted for everybody. <laughs> sure, but at least explaining Mortis as being just this giant, just artery of the Force mm-hmm. that if you somehow tap into it, you have control over it in a way nothing else can. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it it makes sense. Like we were saying earlier, for the end of this trilogy saga to have kind of the like the end all power to be revealed type of thing. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I think you need that. And I think that's, like we said earlier, there is a grandiose level to the conclusion here mm-hmm. that's not felt in The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, because it is just, you know, it's Palpatine. And like you said, you know, we love that stuff when he goes like crazy at the end and monster mash, as you always say. But um, it, it's kind of almost... You know, like, once again, we've seen it before, and it didn't really let, say, our characters, Ray and Kylo, um, be fleshed out like they do seem to be a little more at the end of the Duel of the Fates script. Yeah, because even, like, you think of the climax of The Rise of Skywalker, it's like, Ray just pushes his lightning back at him, and that's how she beats him. Yeah, yeah. And even though I like that moment, it's like, oh, so you're telling me Mace Windu was that close? <laughs> he was yeah. that close to, like, stopping all this? Um, if only he had a second lightsaber instead mm-hmm. of telling Anakin like he's too dangerous to be kept alive. If he would have force pulled Anakin's lightsaber, you're telling me we could have stopped all this? <laughs> Hindsight. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, I get it. I'm being cynical. I don't want to do that, but it, that sort of thing is like you're defeating Palpatine once and for all, and the, like, I have all the ways to kill a bad guy. Doing something we've already seen before is how you're going to do it. Mm, exactly. Instead of maybe having Palpatine be consumed by his own power, like maybe he like does his like force lightning into the sky, and maybe he does it to a point where like it almost like his his power consumes him to the point where it just and I can't believe I'm making this uh, connection here, but kind of like the ending of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull with uh oh god what's her name uh, Ivana Sp- woman yeah, yeah Ivana <laughs> Ivana Spankoff or something whatever her name is, um, and like like she she's like I want your power in the crystal aliens are like okay you want the power here's the power and it destroys her and i think maybe that's the idea is like the folly of the villain's ways like okay i want this power and in my hubris this power inherently is going to destroy me and i think and i think that could have i get it that's not as and it goes back to you need the good guy to defeat the bad guy you need that I, that, that, that visual, easy, digestible thing of the good guy winning. But I do think there's a way to do that that's just not something so derivative. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's... I, I haven't... I forgot about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I haven't thought about <laughs> that in years. <laughs> uh, good old, good old uh, Kate Blanchett as a uh, Russian yeah. woman. Isn't the, pa- isn't the power, like knowledge or isn't it some stupid line at the end of that movie where it's like oh the old ancient mayan word for treasure actually means knowledge or friendship or something dumb <laughs> like that <laughs> well i i've never had a problem with crystal skull like yes is it not as good as other indiana jones films sure um but i've never minded that as a plot mm-hmm. point we're like okay the bit and i think I, that's a really clever again the dirty word in the star wars fandom subversion i think that's clever the idea like the bad guy goes in there and it's like okay haha i'm going to win and the the aliens or whatever they call them interdimensional beings are like okay you want the power you can have it, and you can have everything that goes along with it. And I think that's clever, considering that Palpatine's big thing through most of the third act of The Rise of Skywalker is, I want the power to be reborn. Yeah. And once I sit on my throne, which is we established, that's how he's able to knock tens of thousands of ships out of the sky. Um, I think that's clever. I, I think that would be a clever way to end the film, is that let his power consume him. Mm-hmm. Let that be the thing that destroys him. It's like, yes, the good guys are. I mean, you can always have something in there where Kylo, Ray, I'm sorry, Ben Solo and Ray can like be like, we have to do something to kind of, I don't want to say overload him, but sure. something that kind of like maybe if he keeps using this lightning, it over. Again, folks, I'm thinking out loud here, but like overheats him in a way. Like if he keeps using yeah. this power without any sort of 
uh, what's the word, taking his hand off the throttle of it, it will eventually destroy him. Like, he only can use it in short bursts, mm-hmm. but if he keeps it so sustained, he loses complete control over it, and it will destroy, it will consume and destroy him. I like that as an idea. And you can even throw a line of dialogue in there, like that Ray read that in one of her Jedi books from the beginning sure. of the film. That like, oh, I read this passage that blah, 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 that if you, you keep this power for so, or you use it for such a a period longer than maybe a few seconds, it will destroy you. No, no mortal is meant to have this sort of ability. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, to get, get, get something where characters are able to, you know, take down the big bad guy by playing on his hubris to some extent, uh, and knowledge of you know his his own limitations. Because I I've always kind of thought about it, you know, not always, but in episode nine, Rise of Skywalker, that you know Palpatine's been in the background plotting and. And, you know, being shady for so long. And then it's kind of like when he realizes that he can be reborn at the end, he just goes for it. It's kind of that, you know, overzealousness because he's been so patient for so long. One question about the reborn thing, and this is, I know this is kind of removing away from the Duel of Fate script. Why is it that Palpatine has the ability to go from being like Monster Mash up to like 11? <laughs> like being attached to the, what the, uh, what would you call it from, from, the video game, Assassin's Creed. Oh, the Creed. Assassin's Creed thing. Yeah, I was trying to think of that before this recording. I, but I forgot what it's called. But yeah, he's hooked up to um to that arm thing. Yes. Uh, why is it that he's able to heal himself and his version of healing himself is essentially Monster Mash? Yeah, that, that is weird, you know. Maybe that's his uh, his personal ideal form. <laughs> Monster Mash in the Graveyard Smash. Like, that's just kind of... Yeah. <laughs> that's how Look, he, is... he pictures himself when he looks well, in the mirror. That's what he wants his... You know, that's uh, what's that meme? It's like, this is ideal... Perf- uh, this is what the ideal body looks like. You might not like it, but deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, this is a theory I've had now for a couple of weeks now. And I'm glad I can finally bring it up without just kind of, like, lobbing it out there. Is that I, I'm not sure. I know we talked about it a lot, but maybe not Rob and I. The the Matt Smith, the mystery thing of who Matt Smith was oh, might might be playing sure. in this. What if they cast Matt Smith to play Palpatine Reborn as a, as a young like a young man? Mm. And maybe they tested it. Maybe I'm not saying I don't think there's any. Nobody's talked about if Matt Smith ever shot anything for this film. It was always a, a the the oxymoron of the official rumor. Okay, but what if they cast him? As a reborn Palpatine And for whatever reason Either it didn't work Or maybe they figured that It didn't. It was confusing to the audience Or just it didn't hammer home that nostalgia mm, that, That's what I, I was going to say Because you know it's like when we Think about the Emperor we think about You know wrinkly skin old dude That type of thing and maybe the switch Of going to someone younger And someone whose face you know audiences Are going to recognize might not have Worked they thought it might not have worked might not have clicked that's and that's what I'm thinking because like I, as I keep watching the Rise of Skywalker or, or more thinking about it, I'm like, where would have Matt Smith fit into this? Mm-hmm. And the only play, unless he was some, unless maybe they had him playing uh, Ochi, the Jedi Hunter, which is oh, always possible. Sure. They they could have had him doing the voice for a character and just they eventually they whittled Ochi's role down to just a flashback with like really no dialogue. So why are you going to do that? But still, he would. I don't know. Who knows? Again, Lucasfilm's always doing things in, in Disney along with them. Yep. Um, but no, but it would make sense, though. Like, Matt Smith does have such a defined, what's the word, physical attributes. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would imagine he can do a great job of playing a villain, especially being kind of let off the leash, like, on a Palpatine level. Mm-hmm. So I that's just always my idea, because I, th- I could very easily imagine Matt Smith with a certain amount of makeup and, and wardrobe 
them telling me that, okay, this is Palpatine reborn. I'm sure. like, okay, I'm on, I'm on board with it. It's like, it's one of those things where it's like, just tell me. Like, if you are going to do a, like, you show Palpatine suck the living daylights out of Ray and Ben Solo. <laughs> yeah. And we see him, like, his fingers heal, his face heals. Why can't he be? Matt Smith. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, like you said, Matt Smith could do a, I got nothing against Matt Smith. I'm sure he could do a great job as a, as a villain. And, uh, now I'm, now I'm bummed that we don't have that because if, you know, the movie star Wars episode nine came out and said, you know, Oh, this is Matt Smith. This is Palpatine reborn. I'd be like, no, this is Skynet reborn. What are you talking about <laughs> movie? <laughs> oh man, folks. Good old Terminator Genesis uh, oh, references. Geez. The living embodiment of Skynet. <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe they did that. I, I, I cannot believe that's a thing that exists. Um, yeah, <laughs> the uh, living embodiment of Skynet to the living embodiment of Palpatine. <laughs> there, there we go. I like that. I, I can get behind that. Um, but no, going to some more of the, the Duel of the Fate stuff, because I, I only have a couple of things. We didn't really talk about the beginning. Um, the, the Kuat shipyards. Mm-hmm. When we were talking about that from the Robert Meyer Burnett like, summary, that like, I think at the time I said that sounded really clunky. Sure. And as I read this, I like it still feels clunky. It's very reminiscent of the Return of the Jedi thing and of the Revenge of the Sith thing of the idea. Like, okay, we stumble in somewhere. Now we have to escape for mm-hmm. because of a plan. Yeah. But this felt different enough with the idea of, like, okay, we steal the giant, like, aircraft carrier of the Star Wars universe. Yeah. And I, I, like I was that. interested by that idea, and I think I said that in our when we discussed the summary as well. Um, but you know, I, I think I'm I agreed with you with the summary, and I still kind of agree with you here. You know, it, it kind of everything falls into place in a clunky way, like Ray showing up and using her lightsaber and wanting to stay to fight with the other uh, refugees or whatever, but they can't, and those types of things. And it's like, okay, you know, I I get where we're going. You know, maybe you can smooth it up a little more. Sure, because I know even in that I think we talked about like the fact that like oh a Tuscan Raider shows up out of nowhere. Yeah, I'm like I'm like there, there's no way that being like that would be like someone would spot that and be like nope. But then it's explained in the script that like oh it's like a village where they're just like capturing people and putting them like in a POW camp. Yeah, yeah, to give yeah that because the the whole even the crawl gets at that idea that um of Duel the Fates that you know the First Order is basically everywhere. And they're running the show, no matter where they go. Yeah, and that sort of stuff. It's like when they like, announce that, like, oh, Ray, Ray's been hiding this entire time, and I, I can get behind that. And I think that'd be really cool, this like a visual seeing a Tuscan Raider with a lightsaber mowing down stormtroopers. Oh, yep, yeah, sure, absolutely. Like, that's, that's a really neat visual, like to be, like to start your movie out with a bang. And then the the entire fall, and that's another clever part of this that we've never seen before. It's like they steal the Eclipse Super Star Destroyer, mm-hmm. and. It becomes a thing of like Poe. You st- like Poe's like, look what I did. I stole this thing, and look at all the neat stuff it has inside of it. And it's like, God, it's like Poe. Obviously, they can track this. Yeah. It's only a matter of time. Like, like where are we going to hide this giant thing? Um, th- yeah, I like that. Of- Leia's like, okay, well, I'm glad the mission was somewhat of a success. Not even really, but now we have to leave our base because of this. <laughs> yeah, and I think even though I it. it oh. It regresses Poe's character because clearly he hasn't learned anything since The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. The idea of, like, just because a plan is ambitious and successful doesn't mean it's practical. Yeah. And even though we we negate that, in, in The Rise of Skywalker, it's weird. Poe doesn't regress as a character, but it doesn't feel like he's grown that much. Yeah, I agree. We just get some backstory, right? That's like it. 
Yeah, we get the, he he had a he had a portion of his life where he was somewhat unsavory, which is mm-hmm. fine. I, I don't have any problems with that. Um, but yeah, the, the Star Star Destroyer thing was neat. I like the idea that like they had this powerful weapon. They kind of don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, and even toward the end, where Leia's in charge of it, and you have all these like Star Destroyers, and they're all like, and they have to sit there do like all these like interesting maneuvers with it. Like they have to like much like battleships back during World War II, you had to like angle all the. Like, you had to put these ships into position. You couldn't just simply. They got to play around with the the three dimensional space of a vacuum of the vacuum of space, as opposed to it being that very like like in Revenge of the Sith, where we have the two ships go right past each other and they lobby shots at each other. Yep. Um. Yeah. That's that. That's the sort of stuff where like I get it. You can't make that sort of thing. That's where audiences tune out. Like where these ships start moving in ways that are hard to process. I know in Clone Wars, like uh, Ahsoka once suggests, like, oh, why don't we like maneuver the ship so like when the bad guys come out to attack us, we have the underside be the thing so we can hide our our starships can come out of the top. And it's a really great visual, and it's something that we've never seen in Star Wars, like done, okay, in Star Wars proper done before. Sure. And it's one of those things as a fan, you kind of have to like reorient your mind and realize, oh, wait, they can actually do these things. They're not on a 2D D plane, like in an ocean. Yeah, I I, I was interested to read that as well. And I think we've maybe not on, on, uh, recording ever but i've that's always been one of my biggest issues with star trek is that you know space is 3d but the ships are always like r- looking right at each other yeah and I, and I get that like in the tv shows because you're restricted in budget mm-hmm. and especially like in the 60s and even like the 80s with next gen you're gonna have a really hard time conveying that and then not making it expensive trying yeah. to show that but like by the time you got the jj abrams track it's like y- you got y- come on think outside the box yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but again, you, you don't hire J.J. Abrams if you want to think outside the box. Sure. Um, one thing I did want to ask you about, uh, you probably saw the concept art of uh, what happened to Coruscant, where Coruscant has a giant city built yes. above it with, with one specific, like, tether in the middle. Mm-hmm, yep. Did that remind you of another movie that we saw within the last year? That we covered on Cinematis of having a kind of not a bad city underneath, but a city that's kind of in some level of ruin, and we have a giant, like opulent city above it, hovering above it. Or are you thinking of Alita Battle Angel? I did, Rob. I, okay, I was, yeah, Rob. I, I was. I thought of that same thing, and I was just uh, waiting for oh, it's not Danger Ball, Roller Danger Ball, whatever game she has to play to get up there, whatever. I okay, I'm, I'm right now. Even though I was, I know Zenger made fun of me for being on the hype train for Alita. I'm going to recite everything I remember from that movie right now. <laughs> okay, um, there's Alita. Mm-hmm. There's um James Cameron. Yes. Who, who, who both <laughs> produced the film and starred in it. Um, Edward Norton plays James Cameron. <laughs> yeah. Um, James Cameron's the villain of Alita Battle Angel. Oh, Jackie Earl Haley in a robot suit. Oh, yep. Yep. Calls Alita Little Flea every yes. five seconds. Yep. <laughs> Jeff Fahey. Mm-hmm. Yep. The lawnmower man himself with robot dogs, right? Yes. Yes. He has a robot dog. He's a cowboy. For some reason, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. What's the last? Uh, there was the the how many Rollerball? Is that? Yeah, remember that? that? It wasn't. It wasn't called Rollerball because that's. Are you sure movie. it wasn't? Well, no, I'm not. But that's sure what it, it was. It was where they they were on like the rocket powered uh, roller skates, and they had yeah. to get the ball into the the hoop or whatever. 
And yeah, it was it was like something like with ball or or death something. I don't know. <laughs> death death roller ball. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, what was the city name? The city I, I want to say the city's name was Zalem. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, Zalem. The right? last the last of the floating sky cities. It was Zalem. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and the last thing I remember. Um, oh god, what's her name? Oh my god, she died in a bunch of movies in two thousand nine. Oh, uh, you thinking of Jennifer Connelly? No, no, she <laughs> the one who she gets she gets don't give don't give it away. What? Don't give it away. <laughs> don't give that away. It's one of the weirdest things in the mainstream movie. Don't give that away. True, true. That's um, why I was excited to talk about it. <laughs> no, not Jennifer Connolly, but that's funny as hell. Um oh my god. Uh the, she was in Avatar, she's in Fast and the Furious again. Michelle. Michelle uh, Oh Michelle Rodriguez. Yes. Okay. She's in there for no mm. reason. Yes. It's motorball. Oh, is it? That's what it's called. Motorball. Yep. Are you, are you sure it's not rollerball? Are you sure? <laughs> that sounds like that's more correct than motorball. I don't know. I'm on Wikipedia, so let me check the um right. the history and see okay, if okay. jokingly changed it to okay. motorball and not ro- ro- It sounds it's rollerball sounds more like something Jimmy C would write. Be like, it's oh. call it rollerball. They're on roller skates and there's a ball involved. That's all that matters. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, definitely, obviously, Alita being what a manga well before a movie, yeah. so I, I could see the Madman pull, pulling from that or Derek Connolly. Yep, and I think I think you know Alita was a strange movie. There's other scenes I'm thinking of that um, are just are weird in mainstream media, like the one that I was gonna say with Jennifer Connolly, but also um, there's a there's a dog character that uh, has a run in with Jackie Earl Haley and it leads oh. to the poster oh. of Alita Battle Angel. Yeah, Remember that? Oh, that's yeah. oh yeah, that was weird. <laughs> that's like you think about that, it's like, oh ooh. after you see the movie, you can't, you can't you can't look at that poster without feeling a little weird. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I will not stand by in the presence of evil. Oh geez. Good old I gotta watch Alita. I gotta <laughs> watch that. I haven't watched that in a while. I kinda like after watching that so much like in the span of a month, I was like, okay, I'm done with this for the time being. Yeah, yeah, let it go. Kinda, I kinda overloaded on that. Um. Uh, but no, the 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 chorus. I think the chorus on thing is neat. The idea of having the city being built upon the, I don't want to say ruins, but kind of mm-hmm. like the 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 yesteryear of uh, Coruscant. Um, some of the stuff uh, like when Rose and and Finn go back to reset the beacon or to turn the beacon on. Uh, I I think that could have been a really neat sequence based on like the beacon turns on and we see all the different planets get the message and we see I think you even referenced yeah. it like you see all these aliens. Um I love the part with Bosk where Bosk sees it and kind of gets annoyed. Yeah, the script says that he he like see, he's annoyed. He's it says something like he's sitting in his den of riches and he gets annoyed that like his service droid starts playing this message and then the last thing we get from that little cutaway is that he like looks out into the distance and clenches his fist and i'm like and i'm like i don't i'm like i don't know what that's supposed is that a good thing or a bad thing who knows <laughs> i like the idea it's like the equivalent of like bosk is like sitting home watching tv and you get like one of those like like oh, like the, the like the early warning broadcast system alerts and it's like goddamn rebels is trying to watch my programs <laughs> Goddamn Skywalker's ruining the, the internet or the Star Wars version of the internet. Um, but yeah, I, I found that amusing. Like you said, Bosk is like Bosk gets mad at the end. Yeah. It's like he's a mercenary. He shouldn't care. He'd be, he should be like, how much are they paying me? I'll do it. Yeah, exactly. Part of the rebellion that Finn leads on uh, Coruscant, I think it's interesting that they show a bunch of ATSTs with like red markings on them. Mm hmm. 
And if you remember, they look almost identical to what we got in the the Mandalorian with that one episode with oh, the ATST. Very similar right. red, like uh, oh god, battle paint. Yeah, I forgot about that, or I didn't make that connection. But no, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, that stuff is neat. Um, the there's a part where R two D two practically dies or gets blowed up. Yep. Oh. Yeah, he gets shot and he he like falls over and you know there's they have their C three PO and him have their emotional moment. And then it's like, uh, you know, like I explained, I think when we talked about Rise of Skywalker, I had an issue with the fact that C-3PO just, boom, gets his memory back. It's like, okay, you know, that that wasn't an issue. And it's kind of, they did the same thing in this script, because, you know, R2-D2, like, you know, almost dies. There's like a death scare, or you know, him losing power or whatever. And then, like, what, they go back to Leia, and Leia puts his memory bank back in. He just pops to life. And it's like, oh, oh, so it's like, what's the point of that, you know? But there's, I forgot about this. There's the part where they pop his memory in, and we oh, get and all it these plays perchi- the flashbacks. Yeah, like, we get like a highlights reel of everything in Star Wars, and that bothers me for it bothers me for two reasons. The first being like, oh good lord, that is such heavy handed nostalgia. Yeah. We do not need a montage in a goddamn Star Wars movie of things we've already seen before. Mm-hmm. Especially that drawn out. And the second part is, if you look at all the moments it highlights. It's all just original trilogy stuff. Yeah, I definitely noticed that for sure. And um, the thing the thing that I was actually surprised by, like when I was reading this at the end of this whole script, and I, I see that it's like, you know, the way they even write it, they draw it out with the ellipses, and it's like he's, he comes back to life, and, and he projects all the contents of the memory bank, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, they're going to be stupid about this, and it's going to show things that R2-D2 wasn't even there for. But they don't. They actually only show things where R2-D2 was like in present, uh, in the presence of. And I was like, okay, they didn't go total overboard. But I'm with you. It's so unnecessary. Yeah, it's just like, it's that is the most egregious fan service. Literally showing other movie moments for no other reason to just, here you go. Remember this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even <laughs> it says after the, like it goes through the what they're going to show, it says Leia is taken aback by the flood of memories. It is a catharsis for her and for us. And it's just, that's just so weird to read where it's like, and now you feel this way. <laughs> yeah, that's the weird thing. Like, and I know this happens in scripts because you want to identify that, but to say that like uh, instructing the audience how to feel so blatantly. Yeah, like again, it should be obvious how you're supposed to feel if you have, if you've written a good script. Like, okay, the audience is feeling that at this moment because it's just blatantly in in God, it's it's in it's yeah in between the lines. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I don't want that. You can keep I that was part surprised. of this. I know when we talked about episode nine, Rise of Skywalker, I was uh, I was intrigued by that idea of you know how much of this movie was changed or you know damaged because of Carrie Fisher passing away. And I was surprised that she didn't have more to do in this one than I was really expecting. Because, you know, I get, I, like, I, I did like that she sends the message out to the whole galaxy, and it's kind of like a, not really an arc, but a callback to, you know, Obi, you own, Obi-Wan Kenobi, can you help us? You're my only hope from the first movie. But it was still kind of, she was just in the background, it seemed. I thought that he was going to have a lot more to kind of go with, rather than just the reaching out to uh, Kylo Ren, in you know a moment of great uh, emotion yeah um like like you said with this i i thought about that too while reading all this i think if you think about leia's role in the entire sequel trilogy she doesn't show up until the third act of the force awakens mm-hmm. 
she's essentially taken out of play for the entire second act of The Last Jedi, and she has a very minimal role in the third act of that film. Yeah. And in this, I think her big moment to shine was going to be the um, the callback to the Help Me Obi-Wan Kenobi, You're My Only Hope. I think yeah. that, because even like in the concept art, there's one image, and it's her kneeling in front of BB-8 just like she did in front of R2 in A New Hope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think and I think that moment of her calling the galaxy to help her would have been that big. That would have been Leia's big moment. Much like Han Solo has his Chewie we're home moment and all yep. that, and, and and being the where he touches Kylo Ren's face. Luke at the end of the Last Jedi. I think Carrie Fisher's big moment would have been that message and yep. her piloting the giant ship, giving giving Leia after all these years the the. The God, the big starship weapon was going to be the crescendo of her mm-hmm. her time. Yeah, and they and they really do try and punch it up in the script when you know she shows up uh, in like the 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 captain's chair, the head chair, that whole thing, and it even says something in the script like uh, she sits and leads the rebellion just like uh, Admiral Akbar once did, type of thing. And I was like, oh, they were going to try and punch that up big time. Yeah, I see oh, what you're sure. saying. But it's still it's weird that like. At the end of The Last Jedi, they send the message and the galaxy ignores them for help. Mm-hmm. And then, however, I don't know how many years later this script takes place in the context of Star Wars. But once again, Leia asks for help and everyone changes their mind again. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the weird thing that both this and The Rise of Skywalker really don't flesh out. That, like, okay, mm-hmm. Leia asks for help and everybody says no. And then Lando asks and everyone says, sure, we've got nothing going on. We got about a half an hour. Let's go yeah. blow up some Star Destroyers. And then even in this, it's like she asked, did she say pretty please this time where she did the first? <laughs> um, I, I do think you need, especially after that ending of The Last Jedi, you need a super big catalyst um, and something that's not going to be another plant destroying weapon to kind of goose the galaxy. Yeah. You, you Again, you have to think of something different. Like the, the first order, I think maybe the idea of cutting off information. Um, That's what I was thinking. Maybe punch up in the visuals, or at least that opening scene of this Duel of Fate script, like punch up the fact that like the um, the First Order is really in total control. Where it might have just been, you know, uh, not if they were in control, they were the bad guys in the earlier movies, but never to this extent. Yeah, and I can't help but wonder because we all know the role China plays into all this stuff. Mm -hmm. The idea of cutting off access of communication to people and considering mm-hmm. how much china likes censorship i wonder if that was a studio note that you can't have that you can't yeah, have information a- getting cut off a gov- you can't have an authoritative regime cutting off or if you do you can't have it as blatant and you can't portray it as blatantly evil yeah yeah that that's a good thought for sure that uh hopefully that hearing some of that stuff if we ever get like uh like you've been saying you know like a a tell-all tale about what happened behind the scenes at episode nine that would be a really interesting perspective to get from some people yeah because even some of the stuff like the force ghost i know this has been a real big thing in star wars ever since disney bought it is that like with china has a very big thing about specters and ghosts yep. being in in media and everyone's like oh that's not true because look at the last jedi did with ghosts look what the, the rise of skywalker did with force ghost and if you look at the last jedi and i don't know if some I, I, if we have anybody that speaks chinese or understands the chinese censorship on this like if you look at yoda in the last jedi and yes he's a force ghost but he's able to materialize himself physically. Mm-hmm. He's sitting on a lock. Yep, yep. And I would imagine the textbook definition 
of a, a ghost is something that would not be able to do that. So I wonder if there's some sort of, I mean, obviously with Disney, they can hire whoever they want. They can analyze laws. They can, they can figure out the, the loopholes and all this. And the same thing goes for the rise of Skywalker. Like, yes, Luke Skywalker is a force ghost, but he's able to catch the lightsaber. Yep, exactly. He can uh, manifest himself to some physical sense. And, you know, yes. that's, you're absolutely right. There probably is, you know, like you said, the loophole or there's certain things that a ghost by definition, you know, to say China or to any other country would have to follow to actually be considered one of those. Sure. I would imagine like anything else in life, the Chinese bureaucrats, the, the, the censorship bureau, whatever you want to call it. I would imagine they they look at things too, like ways to get around it. Um, sure. Especially if it's Disney that's knocking at the door. Yeah, um, yeah. Concerning concern the all these movies do make a lot of money and they get a nice cut of it. Um, but no, but getting to the thing of like lightsabers and stuff, I I know this is one of the biggest pieces of concept art that people were sharing a lot of when it first the story broke is uh, Luke catching Kylo Ren's lightsaber's blade and holding it. Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic visual. And I re- again, that's one of those things that like that's when I talk about how I want something that's new in Star Wars, I want things I've never seen before. Yeah, this is exactly what I want. Right on. Yeah, that's a, is unique. Yep. And I think instead of like, and I get it, the moment of Luke Skywalker catching the lightsaber as Ray chucks it into the flaming debris, I get it. It's meant to be, and I, I like that scene. I like it in the sense of like it shows how far Lucas come since last time he interacted with Ray. Yeah, I like that. But I li- I love the visual of of a Force ghost being able to physically grab onto something that's made of pure energy. Oh yeah, absolutely. It is pretty cool. But speaking of uh, Force ghost Luke in this, there is one point where he shows up and the script goes into extreme detail about the fact that he's now a physical being again. Yeah, I I thought that was strange for sure i didn't expect it you know because like we said we've seen it you know with uh, force ghosts you know materializing impacting or touching the real world but this yeah it was it was definitely kind of you know highlighted to a great extent yeah because even prior to that moment we had gotten moments of force ghost luke skywalker in the film yep. or in the script and it's never described what sort of what you want to call it transparency he has at those moments yeah. And then about, what, two-thirds through, we have this scene, and it goes into such excruciating detail. And it's not just like, oh, now he's, like, real life. It's like, oh, he keeps getting more and more or less and less transparent. Mm. And to one point, he even says, like, he's indistinguishable from whoever he's sharing the scene with. Yeah, and I I, I thought that as I was reading through that, I thought that that was going to come up again, and it it didn't really. It was just kind of, you know, um, just describing that moment. Yeah, and even, like, at the end where we have uh, Luke... Uh, Yoda and Obi-Wan talk to Rey on the astral plane Not brought up again there either Yeah, they, they just kind of talk more about uh, We don't get any, you know, writing on how they look or anything like that They talk more about, like, you know There is no life or death here Like, this is a different plane of existence type of thing And maybe that's what they were going for Trevorrow and Connolly with, you know Luke has always been so powerful that, you know He can reach out the best out of all the Force ghosts But, it, yeah, it's just not clear Yeah, um yeah, I, and another thing too is like it's even fascinating in this. They still don't include Hayden Christensen. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I was waiting for that. I thought there were going to be a lot more force, force ghosts at the end, but it's just you know Luke, Obi Wan, and Yoda. There's this I I, I wanted I, this is the part of, like I would love to understand the Lucasfilm thought process or whoever's making the decisions mm-hmm. because is it 
simple, whether it be the lack of Hayden Christensen, the focus on the original, uh, like original trilogy things, like whether it be the, um, oh god, the R two D R two D two doing the holograms of the the highlights reel of the original trilogy, yeah. What, and even in the Rise of Skywalker, at the very end, where we see all the Star Destroyers blowing up, and whether it be Endor, Bespin, even Jakku, why didn't we have one prequel planet in there? Yeah, I I don't know. I I I can't even begin to fathom a guess like like you and and the other Knights of Vader can. But you're absolutely right. It seems like when you're when we're thinking of talking about things, maybe you know fan service and throwing things in there as callbacks, that would be a perfect place to put one or, or perfect place to draw from. Well, yeah, because like I even uh, I get not showing like weird planets that were seen for only a couple minutes, mm-hmm. but it's it's like why not throw Naboo in there? Yep, that was the one that I was thinking of with that being such a big kind of highlight of of episode one. Um, yeah, it's just weird. Yeah, because even like I was thinking about that. I'm like, if you were gonna like if I was gonna like change something about the rise of Skywalker when you have all these. Star Destroyers blowing up. Like, why not? Ha- in a great way, is a wink to the audience. Why don't you show one planet from each of the films that's kind of mm. just there? Like, and you show it in chronological order, in a sense of like the first Star Destroyer blowing up we see is on Naboo. The second one is on Geonosis, and we see one of the Geonosians like uh-huh. crawl. Dude, it's weird, like clicking tongue sound. And then for maybe the episode three one, it's one of the many Order sixty six planets. Sure. And then for obviously the original trilogy is easy enough to plug in, not hard to do, and so on and so forth. And I'm really surprised that like they why not just include one scene, one shot of Naboo? Yeah, it it makes sense. And especially in the Rise of Skywalker, it's so lazy. Like the one scene we get of Jakku, it's literally the exact same shot from The Force Awakens, where we see Rey riding her speeder in between the crashed X-wing and the downed Star Destroyer. And mm-hmm. the only thing they added was they had like if you look really close in the forefront, and I think it was John Justice who pointed this out to me, you can see Rey's speeder cry, kind of like crashed. Okay, hmm. but it's literally the exact. It's practically the exact same shot sure. and angle. Yeah, so they're just kind of reusing it. Gotcha. Yeah, it's like if you're just going to sit there, like I would imagine there's probably some episode one footage that could be repurposed. Just take one shot of Naboo. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're not if you're going to make it so blatantly obvious you didn't put any effort into this, they just <laughs> yeah, they, they, they include an extra and then what? The, each of those little sequences in that montage is what five, maybe ten seconds long. Mm-hmm. You don't even need a Jar Jar going. We so free. Yeah, just like make the it a landscape shot. You know, show yeah. up the, the beauty. Yep. Yeah, something like that. But it's like I, I just wonder, like, is it is it the hatred for the prequels, or is it the putting the original trilogy on a pedestal? I, I I guess I would think it's putting the original trilogy on the pedestal because I don't know because you know it doesn't seem like sure it's it's omitting it type of thing, but it I feel like if there was hatred for the prequels that were gonna you know bleed into it in some way, it would come off as a little more. I don't know. Maybe malicious might be too strong of a word, but it's not just leaving it out. It would actually be directly poking fun at it. You know, like I think we've you've told me about the whole, you know, J.J. Abrams with Jar Jar's bones or whatever that joke was. Mm -hmm. And I I imagine it would manifest itself more that way than just, you know, disregarding it. Yeah, I don't know. I I think the Hayden Christensen thing at this point is almost like a parody. Like I I know a lot of people (laughs) want him in The Last Jedi. Yep. And I get. I, I I get it because he really didn't have a role in that. He wouldn't have had a role in that film. But like in the Rise of Skywalker, he should have really been with Luke and Leia at the mm-hmm. end. He should have been there with them. 
And it's like, I just, like, again, Hayden Christensen's not doing anything. Give him, like, I don't know, a quarter of a million dollars for, like, a week's worth of, like, photo. Like, they put them in the 3D scanner. Yep. Um, like, come on. Like, that's, like, no one's gonna not, like, think about it. Somebody, I don't care how much you hate the prequels. If you are thoroughly enjoying The Rise of Skywalker up until the very end, one five-second shot of Force Ghost Hayden Christensen's not gonna ruin a movie for you. Yeah, definitely. And I still, you know, it, it makes, it would make sense for him to be there. You know, we got, he's the, like, the original Skywalker, you know, from episode one. He started off, like, kind of this whole uh, shebang, and. And it's just, you know, I get that, you know, Ray didn't know him. She was closer to Luke and Leia. But still, you know, it's it wouldn't have taken anything away, like you said, from the meaning of that moment. Well, yeah, instead to kind of show the fact that it's not just Luke and Leia. But I and that's the part that makes me think that's more prequel hatred. It's the idea of like it doesn't take any effort. They clearly have the resources to do whatever they want and to call people and get them in whatever. And it's like, why not? Like you ready like like I yeah. don't know. It's it's like it's like the problem is that, like, I know some people are probably going to say, like you were saying, Ray doesn't know Anakin. But at the same time, though, Ray, what does Ray know about Tatooine? Yeah, yeah you're exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> like, like how much, like, like, Luke didn't talk to her that much mm. about that. And I don't think even, like, even in Return of the Jedi, Luke isn't very fond of Tatooine. Yeah, not at and, all. And I can't imagine Leia telling Ray stories about her brother's, <laughs> what, uh, uh, what, Teenage years and life on on Tatooine to the point where Ray would feel compelled. Like to this day, like I think the the most jarring sequence in any Star Wars film, on a um contextual level in the Star Wars universe, is why is Ray bringing the lightsabers back to the Lars homestead? Yeah, that I I don't know. <laughs> like I, I I don't I understand. It's the idea, and again, and that's where I think the prequel hatred starts to come in. And that like Star Wars chronologically started there in our world yes but narratively it started on the bow yeah yeah exactly and that's where and not saying that ray had to go back to the bow but i honestly think that if you are going to have that ending and that's where having the shot of what finn starts a, a jedi academy oh yeah the, at the, the end the, of the um, duel the, of fates for the force sensitive uh kids he he gets them all kind of on, on one planet and a refuge for him. Yep. Sure. And that doesn't bother me because they allude to this, that even, I think even more so in this script than the actual rise of Skywalker, they do a better job at alluding to Finn being force sensitive. Mm, yeah, definitely. And at the very end, Ray shows up kind of somewhat inexplicably. Yeah. She's just to let everybody know, like the audience know that she's still, Doing her thing, yep. <laughs> sure, and I I like that, like in the sense, like okay, you're not because you're not going to kill Ray off. Like, come on, yeah. she's, she's she's our hero throughout this uh, trilogy, but it's like again, the, the Ray going to Tatooine at the end. Like, I just I just don't get it. Like, there's no reason for her to go there. It would make more <laughs> sense for her to go back to Octo and put both lightsabers in the wall. Sure, yeah, yeah. I don't, I have no idea either. It seems like just a a, a throwback for the sake of throwback and. When you give it any amount of thought, it makes no sense. Because even I've heard some theories that, like, when she ignites her new lightsaber, it's like people say, oh, you can see a tinge of green in that, like, when it ignites. Okay. And obviously when it ignites, um, it, it turns yellow. And some people even said, oh, maybe the blue and green mix to make a yellow when it comes to kyber crystals. Mm -hmm. And I think you could have made... The Tatooine sequence make narratively more sense because there's one big 
not want to call it baked. There's one mystery in Star Wars that the sequel trilogy didn't really. It kind of created it and it never explained it. And I and by I don't want it to be explained. I'm just saying this just for the sake of identifying it. Um, what has happened to Luke Skywalker's green lightsaber? Mm, the yeah. last time we've ever seen it is that he's about to strike down Ben Solo, and that whole thing happens. Sure. So wouldn't it make more sense that Ray goes back to Tatooine and we see her not just put away the Luke and Leia lightsabers, but the green one is also there. Mm. And by and by combining all three crystals, she creates her own. And that's a perfect way to a explain why the lightsaber is a different color. Maybe yeah. because it has more, it has two blue crystals and only one green one. It creates forever reason and forever reason. I know colors don't work that way in real life, yeah, but for sure. that's the reason why you get like a, a yellowish orange hue of the blade. Mm-hmm. And then explains why she goes back to Tatooine because she wants to put all those uh, Skywalker lightsabers in one place. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. That that would that's a neat idea for sure. That Luke buried the like part of his shame is he buried the green lightsaber that he felt was the weapon that he was going to yeah. use to commit this atrocity at a place where the, all this pain and suffering of the Skywalker family has originated. Mm-hmm. Whether yeah. it be Shmi Skywalker, whether it be the Lars's, um, Anakin slavery there. Yep. I think it would be like, okay, I'm going to bury this traumatic thing with the rest of the trauma of my family. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of stuff where, again, you're J.J. Abrams and you're uh, Chris Terrio, and you're being paid millions of dollars to write this film. Yet, y- you couldn't think of this? Yeah, I, I, I still think like that last scene, um, you know, it, it seems to me that the sky, uh, the the lightsabers being buried is was almost like the secondary thought, where the first thought was uh, the woman asking Ray her name, oh and it was God. like, and then it comes down to where they wrote that, and they were kind of like, oh, why is she on Tatooine? Like, why is she getting her ass her name? Oh, just have her bury some lightsabers. That works, right? And and it kind of was, it wasn't fully fleshed out. It never let they never let that idea breathe in the way that you know the fans have done because that's they can think about this stuff now that the movie's out. And they were more geared towards, you know, her taking on the Skywalker name and just getting to, you know, stand in front of the twin sons again. Yeah, it's I, I, I that, that whole ending is just it's it feels rushed. Like oh, it, yeah. it feels like it was tacked on. Like they, they, they all have their oh god, they all huddle and hug at the end on the the jungle planet. Then it's like okay, we're going back and we see Sandcrawler and Jawas. Remember those? Yep. You know you know where we are, despite the fact that the Mandalorian proves that they're not just on Tatooine, <laughs> but don't don't talk about that. Um don't mention it. And then like I say, it's just I don't know. And I know there's like I know in the uh, Knights of Vader Facebook group, uh, Jerry posted this. He goes, When you leave the cinema and realize JJ Abrams ended the entire Skywalker saga on Palpatine successfully using love to manipulate, corrupt, hurt, or kill every single Skywalker across three generations, ultimately resulting in the total eradication of the Skywalker solo and Amidala bloodlines, whilst Palpatine's heir lives on and claims the Skywalker name and legacy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's crazy when you think about it. <laughs> like, and obviously that was not their intent. Because if 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 they were that clever to do that, I would be like, you know what, bravo. If you're that cynical and, and like, if you hate Star Wars that much, and maybe JJ yeah. Abrams does. Like, I, again, he's always said he was always the biggest Star Wars fan when he was making the Trek Star Wars uh, 
Star Trek films. Mm-hmm. And maybe he got to this point where he hates Star Wars. It's like anything Star Wars does. Star Wars kind of like corrupts the fans that get sucked into the machine of it all. Yeah. Whether that be George Lucas or any of the others, like uh, Gareth Edwards, the Miller and Lord, and so on and so forth. And I just wonder, I, I kind of I hope that the reason why that ending is so awful is because J.J. is just so frustrated with the whole experience <laughs> yeah. for the last, what, like five, six years of his life? Mm-hmm. Like, if that's the case, if he did this out of a place of, like, oh, God, malevolent retribution, I love it as an ending. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting to have that kind of, you know, surface level, we have a happy ending, but that little deeper, you know, subconscious idea is that this is not a happy ending. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's the part of, like, I... Again, if they just kind of stumbled their way into an awful ending, it's like anybody can do that. Anybody can stumble their sure. way into bad, doing something bad. But if they deliberately did that and they were able to sneak that sort of thing under like the executives' <laughs> noses, because the executives see it and they're like, it's got Tatooine, check. It's got Force Ghost, check. It's got all these things. Yep. And it's like, okay, sold. And then it's like, haha, jokes on them like 20 years from now and people actually realize how horrible this is on like, uh, like an in-universe level. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's goofy. It's, it's delightfully goofy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to, it's a good way to sum up how I think about Star Wars these days. It's a goofy concept that people think about quite a bit. Yeah. It's, it, it's Star Wars always. That's why it's kind of one of those things where y- you take Star Wars seriously only is in how much the people making it are taking it seriously. Yeah, yeah. I think there's what the uh, there's is a robot chicken sketch somewhere where it's a uh, Vader being like Luke, I am your father. No, that's not true. It's impossible. And cut the cut and uh, the Empire will be overthrown by Ewoks. That that's not <laughs> true. That's highly improbable. And then eventually, like Vader sitting there, like reading off like little like cue cards and the force is really just a bunch of like oh god microscopic uh, organisms in your yeah. blood and luke's like well if you're just gonna start with stuff like this now i'm out and he's like he, he walks off the little like railing and that's kind of like you have to wonder it's like if you get so frustrated with star wars you deliberately start i don't want to say ruining it but you do you start putting con- a, a layer of contempt into it which is what lucas yeah. was doing like we know that. Like there's the infamous picture from the uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull uh, set where it's Harrison Ford, Kathleen Kennedy, and George Lucas, and he's wearing the Han shot first T-shirt. Oh, that's right. Yep. <laughs> like, like, and that's a photo that exists. It wasn't. It's not a promotional image. It's a candid shot on set. And is there any other way to interpret that other than a middle finger to the fans? Yeah. Oh man, that's crazy. I no, I that. hear you. It's insane. Yeah, and may- maybe in a way uh, we 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 have to give J.J. Abrams more credit than we ever thought. That maybe he is this person that realizes the mu- like much like uh, Anakin Skywalker in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, he's on Mustafar, realizing everything he's done. He has a single tear run down his cheek. <laughs> what have I become? Yep. <laughs> exactly. I've slaughtered all the like. I've accomplished everything I want. The Jedi are gone. The Separatists are gone. But look what I've become in the process. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but it would be great to know more about J.J. Abrams for sure in that respect. He's he's like I really hope because considering that he bases he bases all of his um his uh, life decisions off Spielberg. I really hope that like in the next like ten years Spielberg like writes a tell all. (laughs) Just so J.J. has the precedent to go along and do it like forty to fifty years. What J.J.'s what in his forties? I would assume so. Yeah, early forties. Let's let's be kind. Say forty to fifty years. Let's give him a very long life. Um, yeah, I, I really hope. I really hope we get that tell all <laughs> where it's like I by two thousand seventeen. I hated Star Wars. 
I want at the end, but nobody would let me let it stop. <laughs> yeah, that would be something else. Yeah, I want that. Oh, I want that so bad. Um, I guess it, folks. Remember, folks, if you don't like something, try to find the the silver lining of uh, the humor in it. It makes it makes <laughs> life go down much much smoother. I guess one just final thing that I want to discuss about this script that I thought was interesting was the whole idea of the the when Kylo Ren goes to uh, Vader's castle and he oh, finds the. Sure. Uh, the, the Sith holocron that's meant for Vader. And I like how the message gets halfway through. Uh, what's the word? Uh, saying its message. And it literally is like, you're not the right person. And yeah. It blows up his face. It's just enough time for Kylo Ren to get the important information. <laughs> and then it literally like what? Like it says like what his face starts to like melt. And like it gets like horrible scarring. Yeah. And it like his veins turn purple. And they're like bursting or something. Because it's like this thing is exploding and, and burning his face. And like shooting lightning at it or something. It's intense, you know, and I guess the idea is if you're going to have something that has going to have a security check halfway after the information's <laughs> been given out, it would hopefully kill the, whoever got that information. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, but not really good, like, on response time. Like, maybe, like, I don't know, if in the first couple words, turn yourself off. What if, what if there's somebody, what if you had some sort of, like, audio chip or something that could listen, rec- like, record all this? Yeah, exactly. Like, why would you even turn on? If it has the ability to realize who, like, what your bloodline is, why even turn on? Just blow up. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Or I didn't get easy- that at all. <laughs> or just make it easier. Don't say anything. Like, it's like, oh, you're not a Skywalker. You're not getting my secrets, buddy. Yeah, device locked, you know? Uh, it doesn't even have to self-destruct. It can just be, like, a paperweight. <laughs> I like the idea that the Star Wars universe, super secret holocrons, have less security features than our cell phones do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> like imagine, like you get somebody's phone has a password. It takes like what, like five minutes for it to realize you're not the, like the owner. Yeah, that would be insane. Like you're looking through, like you're getting like bank information and and like you know routing numbers and stuff. And then it goes, and it's like, hey, this isn't you. <laughs> it's like, well, sorry, you know, I already got the number. I'm I'm taking that money. <laughs> the consolation prize is that it horribly maims you. Yeah, <laughs> you get the information, but you get maimed in the process. So it figures it balances itself out. Yeah, yeah, that's a trade off. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny though. And I, like I said, you could tell obviously, like we said, JJ did pull from that because the ideal, the ability to transfer the force from one person to another in order to heal them. Yep. Clearly, he made that more of a benevolent thing in the Rise of Skywalker, which is why I like. I like. I like the idea of a uh, force healing being a, a non-malevolent power. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, there's. I have one one more final thing, but not about the actual script, but more just about the uh, the Robert Meyer Burnett uh, oh, analysis sure. of this. But is there anything specific that you want to highlight about this script before we uh, conclude this discussion? I think the only thing that I wanted to bring up that we haven't hit on yet was. Um, it came out of nowhere to me in the script, and I don't think it was described very well, but uh, we get that shot where Rose and Finn are on Coruscant, and they, they split up, or that scene, not that shot, I should say, and um, Finn runs into the stormtrooper, he has this kind of talk with him, and then Finn like falls into a sewer or something like that, oh, and yeah. there's this big... I don't know. They like describe this creature that's like eating sewage and it almost eats Finn. And I'm like, like, what's the point of this? Like there's enough conflict going on like during this setup for the final battle. Like why do we need this other kind of, you know, all this monsters coming to get you now? Like he could have just met the the kid Dade or whatever that takes him to the refugee. But think, think Rob, in what Star Wars movie is there a bunch of action happening and someone falls into a trash 
and, and, there's, and, there, and there's a beast in there that wants to make lunch out of them. Okay, yeah, there you go. Fan service. <laughs> yep, it's another throwback. Something we're used to. Jeez. Anytime something doesn't make sense in Star Wars, automatically apply the filter of fan service. <laughs> We've done nine, it before. Yeah. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, it will explain the kind of like dilemma or the quandary of like, why does this exist? Yeah. 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 It just, it's, it seems so weird. You know, like so much was going on. Like we're cutting back and forth to Ray and Kylo to like different groups on Coruscant and even the Leia stuff. And then it's like, this happens out of nowhere. And I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, like, I know Finn's <laughs> going to get out of this. There's no tension. Yeah, but like it's, I I don't blame them for that either. It's it's sure. you need something to happen, and you need to make it exciting because like okay, he's evading the stormtroopers, and you have to I guess up the stakes. You can't just have him running around corridors mm-hmm. because after a while, that like, how many times can the protagonist run away from a stormtrooper? Yeah, yeah, they're exactly. they're incompetent through and through. Um, one thing I think is again in all these Colin Trevorrow scripts, and obviously we know there's another one out there that hasn't been released. I would imagine mm-hmm. there's even more. Um, apparently the Sith troopers were his idea oh, okay. ha- having red stormtroopers, and maybe they were the, 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 I know in this, they talk about the mech troopers. Yeah. And the brute troopers too, at the, even at the end. Yep. Yeah. Like, so maybe that's what it is, but I, and the concept art I've looked at, I don't see any red stormtroopers. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I was noticing that too. They're all look like the ones we're familiar with. Yeah. And the brute troopers, the idea of them being an army of Boba Fett's just like everybody knows my opinion on episode three of The Mandalorian. <laughs> as soon as I saw him, I'm like, oh God, it's an army of Boba Fett's. Yep, oh, yep. No. That's exactly as they describe him. Oh yeah. Oh no. <laughs> I'm like, please. Oh God. This, I, I wake up in the, much like how Rob wakes up in the middle of the night in cold sweats of the I'm the spy line. I think <laughs> yep. of the ending of the episode three of The Mandalorian. It's like, no, no, no army of Boba Fett's, no army of Boba Fett's. Nom flashback, nom flashback. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's oh God. I, I don't I, I get it. Boba Fett's cool. The design is awesome. But you gotta cut it out. It's called over. Like Boba Fett works yeah. because he's like, like I know in like an EU and Legends they use that armor a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of not Boba Fett's in Legends, but like you're making it too ubiquitous now. Like yeah, you got you gotta the, tone it down, especially with the Mandalorian. You know that's gonna that's gonna be stuck in people's heads. Not that it, Boba Fett and his design hasn't, but it's gonna be even further now. It's almost we're getting so inundated with it. Is there is there okay? You tell me because you're you're the the filthy casual. Is there a possibility that at this point in time in, in pop culture that more people would be able – like more common people, filthy casuals, would be able to point out the Mandalor- – identify, not point out. Identify the Mandalorian over Boba Fett. Mm, that's a good question. I, mm, I'm not sure because I feel like Boba Fett has had so much time to you know gestate in everybody's minds, whereas the Mandalorian – is is recently new, relatively new, and uh, I, I honestly I think it might even be the other way. Like I, I would imagine there's people out there that you know don't subscribe to Disney Plus, aren't big Star Wars fans, you know, so they didn't watch The Mandalorian, and when they see that show or they talk about that show, they call that Boba Fett, even though it's not Boba Fett. But I'm I'm not sure. That's a that's an interesting idea. I forget what I, I don't know where I found it online. But it was somewhere where, like, there was like a Boba Fett in. Co- like, well, I'm not sure if it was like Disney World or Disneyland, or it was like a 501st thing. Mm-hmm. But there was somebody dressed as Boba Fett, and someone, and it was like some little kid, like maybe six years old, being like, "Where's?" Like, went up to him, was like, "Where's Baby Yoda?" Mm, interesting. 
I'm not again for the record. I'm not saying this is good or bad. Sure, just pointing sure. out observation. Anybody can do whatever you want. Not that they're overwriting Boba Fett because Boba mm-hmm. Fett was always a blank slate. He was he was badass man. He was he was the man with no name. You could always and that was the brilliance of Boba Fett. He was a uh, uh, god, just a, a helmet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he looked he looked like the most badass thing to ever exist in Star Wars. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and now because of the Mandalorian, we have dozens upon dozens of the most badass people ever. And mm-hmm. like any anybody who understands the law of diminishing returns. You're going to devalue him in the process. Yep, ab- absolutely, yeah. But hey, isn't uh, yeah, yay. That's, uh, I think that's just the modern <laughs> era of media. They, wanna, they need to run everything into the ground, milk it dry, and it's a bummer. Yeah. That goes back to what we were saying about like Darth Vader. Like, uh, you know, glad they haven't done that with him and made him do the flips and things like that. How long until they, they create another Star Wars character that wears, wears that uh, costume? I, I would imagine that's uh, probably already in the works. <laughs> I remember in 2013 reading rumors, and of course there are always rumors, that they that Disney wanted to bring back Vader, and the rationale would have been, well, it's a suit. Anybody can wear a suit. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shell. It's armor. It's just, you know, you, everybody can uh, rep- or realize it and recognize it. And that's and that's what I'm afraid of. There, like, there's gonna come a point. I keep saying this, like, like something with Star Wars is gonna. There's gonna be another part where it falters, mm-hmm. and they're gonna start getting really desperate, and they're gonna start doing weird things. Oh yeah. And Season two we- of the Mandalorian, we're gonna have a bunch of Boba Fett's fighting a bunch of Darth Vaders. Oh, that's gonna God. be the oh, season no. two no. premiere. No, <laughs> no, no. They do that at the end, rocks. They see the ratings are slipping. They have to uh, get it back up, so they reshoot the entire ending. <laughs> um, you, Rob, Rob, you can't start off with it. You can't blow your wad that early. I think that's the whole. Uh, what is going to be another eight episodes? That's just every episode is just that battle. It's one continuous oh, no. battle all episodes. <laughs> and, then, 20- and then the twist is that an army of baby Yodas shows up halfway <gasps> through the season. There so we you just go. Have, we have way too much of every character. It's going to be like Deep Roy and as the Oompa Loompa in uh, Willy uh, uh, Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's just all copies of the same person fighting each other oh no (laughs) oh my god please no oh god (laughs) insert the clip of the the person at the rise of skywalker thing saying i hate star wars i want my money back (laughs) (laughs) oh god i like i said i would begin every episode with that clip if i could Every single episode. That's you know what I do. If I can't get Dom Hall Gleason to say that, I'll just uh, <laughs> or say the line. I'll have like if you won't say that, will you say you hate Star Wars? Um, <laughs> at that point, he just says, "I am the spy," and I'm like, "Wait." He's like, "There's no difference." <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, the final thing I want to say about Robert Meyer Burnett's video in the uh, summary: um, those videos of his are two and a half hours long. I'm sorry, yeah. four and a half hours long combined, and. I don't know about you, Rob, but if I was making a four and a half hour long YouTube video on this, I think I could have done an infinitely better job summarizing this and conveying the major plot beats than what what that was. I I think I have to agree. You know, I know that I I didn't watch the videos. I just read the summary. Who was summarizing? You know, the guy on Reddit that was summarizing Robert Meyer Burnett's stuff. But, you know, I think it shows, even though there's some things that are lost in translation, you know, when you play this game of telephone, it's still just kind of like it 
I know we talked about it when we uh, went over that summary is that it starts off fairly strong and descriptive. And then at the end, it's just like, oh, you you know, here's giant overstrokes and and just the main ideas. And if if we had read this, like you said, there would have been things, you know, to point out at the end in more detail in the middle and not just, you know, say things that I think like we we illustrated when we discussed that summary just made us confused. Sure. And I think like, if you actually have this in front of you, I don't know how, like, it's not, this isn't dense by any means. It's not like you're reading a, uh, a, a David Lynch script where there's a lot of like interpretation as to like yeah. what's going on. Um, I don't think there's any sort of mental puzzle. Yeah. It's very straightforward for sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Tweet his own. Everybody thinks differently, but if I was given, I don't know, I read this. Mm-hmm. And I was given like an hour or two of prep time. I think I could have conveyed this easily within two hours. Sure, sure. And infinitely to the point where like, or to a much more, what's the word, coherent state where like yes. reading Reddit summaries wouldn't be like reading like the ramblings of a uh, psychotic. <laughs> Definitely. But yeah, but two each his own. Again, I, I thank Robert Byer Burnett for doing that because he gave us a whole episode's worth of topics. So I appreciate him for doing that. Even though it was also self-serving for him as well. Sure. Yeah, and it was our first taste. Like we said, we wanted the Trevorrow stories, and and now we actually got them. And I am so so glad that I have this. It's <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. not as horrible as I imagined it would be, mm-hmm. but I lost. He, I was what's his? Oh god, I lost the Star Wars. That yeah. that is that is worth it. That's the level. Like that's okay. I guess a tease of things to come, folks. But like that is Book of Henry level. Like that is a that's that level of awful. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, it's glorious. Absolutely I, yeah, glorious. I love it. I appreciate it immensely. <laughs> Remember, folks. If anybody has any sort of like inside like track to Dom Hall Gleason and get him to say that, we will send you a t-shirt. Let's put that out there. If you know Dom Hall Gleason, you can get him to say, hi, you're listening to Knights of Vader, and I lost the Star Wars. Yes. We will We will send you a t-shirt. <laughs> that's so good. That's, I think it's a that's fair so trade. so funny. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Add some incentive, incentive to this, for sure. Somebody somebody tracked down Dom Hall Gleason, you know, things like that. <laughs> Isn't there like a Peter Rabbit 2 coming out? Like He's got to be doing the press rounds for that soon. Sure, yeah. Just give him the sales. Just give him a piece of paper and like slip him like a twenty and be like, "Hey, <laughs> hey, can you say this, please?" Like, not even like, we can always work the Knights of like. I don't need the Knights of Vader thing. That'd be really cool. But I just need him to say, "I lost the Star." Wars. I lost the Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, dear. All right, Rob. With that being said, anything else? We're ready to wrap this up. No, I I think that's it. I think it's uh we're ready to wrap it up. I'm trying to. Yeah, I think we hit all the points I wanted to. Uh, if you haven't read the script. You know, like Zach said, and and he posted it in the Knights of Vader uh, Knights of Vader Facebook group. Definitely check it out. Um, I think it is an interesting read. Um, and I, I guess on a closing note is that I'm kind of baffled by the fact that I know more about a version of Episode Nine that doesn't exist than I do the actual movie. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think every Star Wars fan can say that because we don't know anything about Episode Nine. True. True. They, they, yeah. they were so uh, what's the word? Uh, close guarded with that. Mm-hmm. No, not close guard. They were very uh, close to the vest with that. Yeah, guard, yeah, I yeah. I know what you mean. Yep. It's late, folks. I'm tired. Um, um, all right. So concludes this episode of the Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. Check out the Facebook group that's been mentioned a few times in this discussion. Type in Knights of Vader in the Facebook, and you will find us there waiting for you. Find us on Instagram at KOV Podcast. Shoot us an email, kovpodcast at gmail.com. 
If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Thank you to everyone who has provided an iTunes review. It means a lot. Thank you to Anspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, there we go. Check out the show notes to hear more from them. If you're interested in a Knights of Vader t-shirt, check out the show notes. Remember, folks, the show notes are a wealth of information. For questions, comments, concerns, or sniper remarks, contact me, Zach, on on Twitter, at Cinemodis. You can also hear me talk about movies on the Cinemodis podcast with Rob, where we'll be discussing... Uh, I think... Uh, the Hudsucker Proxy? Ding, 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 okay, ding. right on. Good, good. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm very excited for that. You know, the, the wacky circumference. Folks, it's the most Rob title a film could ever be. <laughs> you will never get a more Rob title than the Hudsucker Proxy. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and spoiler alert, it's not weird Rob crap. It's yeah. actually a good movie. Yeah, we've uh, we've been looking at some weird ones. Uh, w- well, weird, I guess, for us in this year on this month of cinemodities, and uh, this uh, definitely falls into that category. It's got a crazy name, but it's it's one of the more um, I don't know tame movies that I've recommended. If that's I'd a good way to put it, I'd say it's one of the more conventional movies. Like at yeah, the end of the day. conventional. I like that for sure. Yep, yeah, and it's, it's outside uh, our comfort zone. Yeah, uh, yeah. So check that out. That episode's a good one. If you've never seen the Hudsucker Proxy, uh, give it a watch. It's a it's a good one. And it got a lot of fast talking in it. <laughs> so if you like Jennifer Jason Lee and women smoking cigarettes, you, boy, have I got a movie for you. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Rob, when you're not talking about women smoking cigarettes, where can people find you? So um, you can find me lurking around in the Knights of Vader Facebook group. I'll uh, respond and post some things in there. You can definitely find me and Jeremy as members of an Inspiriority Complex. Uh, you can find our music on Bandcamp, iTunes, Spotify, all those usual places. And if you like the Knights of Vader theme song, uh, we're glad, but our other stuff isn't really like that. But still, <laughs> give us a listen. <laughs> we're sales pitch ever. If you like this thing, check out other stuff that's not similar at all to it. <laughs> yeah. One, two, Alrighty, folks. Good night, but not goodbye. And as always, remember Alderaan, and down with the Empire. Yep, they they lose the Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs>